The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 123. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing Star Trek Lower Decks Season 1. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken and Father Corey Stika. We want you to know that this episode is going to be a little different than our usual, but we think you'll enjoy it nonetheless. When the new show Star Trek Lower Decks premiered in August 2020, we began recording short reviews of each episode as they came out on CBS All Access and releasing those as special episodes exclusively for our patrons at patreon.com slash starquest. We did this to thank them for their financial support that allows us to make Secrets of Star Trek. But now, as the season has concluded, we've bundled up all those episodes and we're releasing them now to you to show you one of the benefits of being a StarQuest patron, in addition to helping us continue our mission of exploring the intersection of faith and pop culture. And we hope you enjoy our review of Star Trek Lower Decks Season 1. Joining me today are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Folks, the CBS All Access has launched a, another new Star Trek series on its service. Uh, this one is called Star Trek Lower Decks. It is the first animated Star Trek series since the original Star Trek, the animated series, nearly 50 years ago. And so, uh, as I said, it's called the Lower Decks. And as a special patron a benefit to our patrons, we're discussing our first impressions of each episode as they air and sharing them exclusively with you, our patrons, first. And later we'll bundle them all together and make them available to our general audience. Uh, that helps show them the benefits of being a patron. So uh, let's talk about Lower Decks the, in the first episode. And let's talk a little about the, the show itself, uh, the overall concept. Uh, it, it used, apparently, it uses the... TNG episode Lower Decks as its inspiration, mm -hmm. focusing on right. the junior officers who we don't usually see and not on the bridge officers. Well, it that's one of its inspirations. It's also clearly inspired by John Scalzi's novel Red Shirts. Mm -hmm. Yes. And uh, what do you think? Which is, which is, yeah. it is even closer to it because yeah. Red Shirts involves the Lower Decks people on a starship that's much like the Enterprise. Uh, with these big heroic people up top, but it's played for comedy. Right. Which is the central thing about this Lower Decks is it's played for comedy. That, and so even though it's the second animated series, it's the first comedic series. We've had comedic episodes before, like The Trouble with Tribbles or mm -hmm. things like that. But this is a, an entire series that's uh, being done in that style. And so that's its most distinctive feature. 
Yeah. Do, what do you think? Do you think it's also a bit inspired by the Orville of all things, which was itself a sort of a comedic takeoff of I, I TNG? So. I definitely think so. I mean, it, it's they, they looked at the fact that the Orville became uh, fairly popular among Star Trek fans because it did have the 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 feel of TNG, but the humor kind of spliced in. Yeah. And I think they're definitely trying to to capture some of that. And, you know, we should mention, too, that this is this series is set after the movie Nemesis. Right. So it's set within, you know, the late TNG, TNG era. era. Yeah. I don't know what extent to what extent it's influenced by the Orville. I understand why people would make that comparison because it is both comedic and inspired by Star Trek Next Generation. And the Orville has those two characteristics. But given the timelines that are involved in producing an animated show. Uh, The Orville either, this was either under development already or the, what I think is more likely the Orville was on the decline when they started making this. And when the when the conceptual work was done for this, because the Orville was most popular for like a season or two and it really went into a decline in the ratings um and it and so I wouldn't look to say oh let's do the Orville if I'm a Star Trek producer and I've seen the Orville is is you know already in its decline because it wasn't as huge a hit with the fans as it could have been um it didn't end up being for a while it looked like it might eclipse Star Trek you know as mm-hmm. the big new thing with Star Trek fandom because people were having a negative reaction to Discovery and ultimately that didn't happen. Um, so if I was a Star Trek producer, I don't know that I'd say to myself, let's do the Orville. I would be more inclined to say, here, let's do let's do red shirts. Yeah. And, and and it just is coincidence that it has similarities to the Orville. I wouldn't put it past anyone in Hollywood to to copy something that's already on the decline <laughs> yeah, as well, a way of sucking the air and, out of the room for be, any comp- competition. And, and to be fair, <laughs> Orville has only had two seasons. Season yeah. three is still on hold until all this fun stuff with the virus gets yeah. taken care of. So, well, I mean, that, 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 I mean, anyways, but I, I, yeah. I do think though, I'm you, not, I'm not ruling it out that it could be influenced, but I'm just yeah. saying I'm not, it's not obvious to me. I, I can see after the first season, Orville, them saying, hey, we could do something like that. Yeah. Also, it, uh, the, a little bit of the irony is the Orville, as it went on, what became more serious and less farcical, because uh, mm-hmm. I think that was the intent all along. Yeah, yeah. that was that I was going to make that point because the yeah. Orville really wanted to be next generation, but needed comedy as an excuse to not get sued. <laughs> and and. This is the opposite. This is interested in being a comedy. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's pre- it's produced by one of the guys from Rick and Morty, which is an astonishingly popular series of which I have seen very little. Right. But, <laughs> but... Yeah. Well, so let's talk about th- this series. then. so it, the setting is it's on a ship called the USS Cerritos, uh, of the mm-hmm. California class. Uh, Cerritos is a town in California, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so it, and like you said, uh, Father Corey, it it takes place after ne- the events of Star Trek Nemesis. So uh, about twenty years before the events of Star Trek Picard. So this time yep. period in which really nothing else has been created for TNG, which is interesting. So I mean, for Star Trek, so uh, it, yep. it's sort of uh, uncharted territory uh, <laughs> in <laughs> in a sense. And so we have a, this cast of characters, these junior officers. So let's let's talk about them. The the some people, well, you, 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 
the, who the lead is is sort of variables. But let's talk about the, the alphabetic. Anyway. They're co-leads. Yeah. yeah. So Ensign Beckett Mariner, she is uh, capable. She's competent. She should be in a better job. In fact, she's had better jobs in Starfleet, uh, <laughs> but she has an attitude problem, uh, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, she's basically Han Solo. Yes. I mean, she's the Han Solo character. She's she's hip. She's cool. She's jive talking or smart talking, however you want to say it. She yeah. is very competent and very flip. Yes. Right. Yes. She's the she's the bad girl in school. Right. And she's, uh, she hasn't seen a rule or regulation she doesn't want to break. <laughs> and she's awesome. I really like her character. Yeah. She is a lot of fun. And you also get the sense that she, even though this is a comedy and people do outrageous things, you also get the sense that she genuinely cares. Yeah. And she about people. Right. And like she she comes over the course of this episode, we see her caring about her co-lead, Boimler. Um, yeah. but but she's just a lot of fun. I mean, She's immediately more compelling in in two 20 minute episodes than Michael Burnham has been in two seasons. <laughs> That's not hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, she's she's not been raised by Vulcan as a Vulcan foster child and all that other yeah. stuff that they've piled on her. Uh, the other one, other co-lead is uh, Ensign Brad Boimler. He he is the I want to be by the book Starfleet guy. I want to be a captain someday, uh, mm-hmm. but I'm not really all that competent. At least yet, you know he's he's sort of the, a, a bit of a bumbler. Uh, I have to point yeah. out he's voiced by Jack Quaid, the actor Jack Quaid, who, if you've watched Amazon's The Boys, which I'm not not sure I necessarily recommend. I've seen an episode though. He is uh, Huey on that series, so it's mm. interesting. To, uh, I recognize his voice. I'm like, who is that guy? So he's he's on that. But uh, so uh, and so Boimler is in a, in a sense he's the fan. The 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 fanboy, you know, he wants to be yeah. Starfleet guy, but likely if any of us joined Starfleet, we'd all end up like Boimler, probably not really well, and, all that capable. And he's also well, he's also a, a rookie, really. I mean, yeah. because I, if I remember right, this is set uh, twenty three eighty, and he graduated in twenty three seventy nine. It yes. says in the, the first episode. So uh, he he this really this is his first assignment on this ship, which is kind of the second class ship of the fleet. Yes. You know, it's not the first class like the Enterprise. And he's still just trying to figure out himself and what that means to be part, be an ensign yeah. in Starfleet. Right. And he and um, and Mariner are effectively a kind of character dyad that mm-hmm. serve as fan identification. Yes. Because uh, Mariner represents the heroic adventurous side that, you know, that is appealing to fans. Whereas Boimler represents the insecurities that every human being has and overcoming those. And so the you look at the two of them and you kind of take these two characters like in the original series, you had Kirk, Spock and McCoy as a triad of, you know, of of an individual human. You really have the same kind of thing here. You have the courage and the caution, uh, the, the rule breaking and the rule following with Mariner and Boimler and you put them together. They're kind of one person that represents the fan. Right. And one competent <laughs> crew member together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the other two main characters we're going to see uh, is uh, uh, Ensign Devana Tendi. She's Orion. So she's green skinned. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a, she's also brand new. She's newly commissioned uh, Ensign. She's in sciences. Uh, she works in sick bay. So she's some kind of medic. Uh, she's idealistic. She's friendly, outgoing. Uh, 
uh, innocent. She's a nerd. She's a nerd, yeah. right? Uh, <laughs> and then we have Ensign Sam Rutherford. He's human, a junior engineer, but he has cybernetic implants for some reason. So he's we're going to have a lot of Jordy Borg jokes from him, I think. I was surprised that they, because he's, it's not, he's, it's not just that he's got cybernetic implants, because we've had other characters with cybernetic implants, like, um, on, on Discovery. Right. Yep. Two, two of the bridge crew have cybernetic implants, one of them to such an extent we didn't even know if she was a human. Right. For right. a long time. Um, but here he's got not just cybernetic implants, but he's got like an eyepiece that blocks mm-hmm. out one of his eyes. Yeah. It's just not both eyes like Jordy. And he's an engineer and he happens to be black. And I'm going, are you, are the writers deliberately trying to call Jordy to mind? Right. Well, then, then he's, then he's awkward with women as well, which that's a Jordy treat, you know? So that's true. They did establish that. Although I'd expect that for just about any character in a comedy, they're either going to be <laughs> awkward or they're going to be Pepe Le Pew. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then we have um, sort of as background characters, we have all of the senior officers. We have the captain, the first officer. Uh, first officer is clearly uh, overpowered Riker. Uh, there's a, mm-hmm. a, a yep. bait, uh, not a, bait, a Bajoran security officer who is like he outwarfs Worf by tenfold. Yeah, I love having a Bajoran in that role. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and the Caitlin doctor. Yes, yes. Yep. The, the, the cat. <laughs> Doctor, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The is she's and she's kind of like. I mean, she's she's kind of got the hair of Beverly Crusher, only all over her body as a cat, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and the attitude of Doctor Pulaski, yes, yes, <laughs> a little Pulaski, a little McCoy, gra- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> grouchy doctor, yes. Uh, so, so, and that's. I mean, then there's a bunch of other uh, secondary characters that come and go, but uh, that's pretty. Well, that- the, the the captain's the most important because yeah. she is. Um, it turns out she, we learn in the course of the first episode, she has a special interest in uh, Mariner. Right. Right. The rule breaker. She wants to kick, she's tired of Mariner's attitude. Uh, she wants to kick her off the ship and she wants evidence to do that. So she gets, she gives Boimler a secret mission to monitor, uh, monitor his coworker and report Mm -hmm. on any breaches of protocol. Right. And then we find at the end uh, the very strange reason why uh, she gives yeah. him this. So um, the, the the show's humor, it feels very irreverent. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a lot. It feels in some ways like The Simpsons, that sort well, of uh, fourth wall breaking. Irrever- yeah, not irreverent in the religious sense. No, no, irreverent no. in the uh, in, in the. Uh, paying uh, uh, homage to Star Trek itself. It's irreverent right. towards Star Trek in that sense. Simultaneously, I think it's also quite reverent yeah. because yeah. It, it it's clear the people who um, who make this love Star Trek. They are not right. running it down. Right. They are there. It's this is affectionate humor. Um, so you get like lots of name dropping. In fact, the first episode goes out with that. By the end of the first episode, Mariner and (laughs) Boimler have bonded and, and she's declared because he has not turned her in for rule breaking. And 
And she's like, I'm going to be your new mentor. It's going to be so awesome. I'm going to teach you all about Captain Kirk and my man Worf. And (laughs) have you ever heard of Khan Noonien Singh? And he's going, yes, I've heard of him. And so how about Gary Mitchell? I'm sure I can look him up. (laughs) (laughs) So this is clearly humor from from people who enjoy the franchise and, and, you know, like it. They're just this is this is in sort of in the family teasing. There is mm-hmm. a ton of Easter eggs for fans. Yes. In this. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. In, including references to stuff that's um, sort of the way that the so some of the cliches of the originals, uh, the, not just the original series, but all the series, some of the cliches that come up, some of the things fans love to point out about the show, things that we bring up a lot of times. Uh, yeah. So there's a lot of those references. Uh, well, like the opening scene starts with, you know, supposed captain's log. Of course, it turns out it's actually Boimler pretending to be captain doing a captain's log. Yes. But it starts with the epic hero shot of the, <laughs> the, the senior officers on the bridge. Right. And then you hear the record scratch. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so the, the premise of the first episode, like the, the, the A plot is they're, they have, they, they titled the episode it's called Second Contact. And so after you have first contact with a species, well, somebody's got to be the one that shows up to do second contact, right? To kind of establish protocols and, you know, trade and or whatever, you know, how, what, who Connect can visit. Connect them to the Starfleet internet and, you know, <laughs> things like that. Yeah, that comes up. Actually, I like that. That's In fact, Boimler <laughs> gets the job of connecting their star, them to Starfleet internet or Federation internet, that sort of stuff. So th- that comes up and um, what is it? Beckett, he, he, when in his process of monitoring Beckett, he notices her drive off in one of the Starfleet the Argos, buggies. the Ar- the Argo buggies, the, from right? Nemesis from Nemesis, right? Uh, she drives off with some stuff, and so he follows her, and he thinks that she's selling Starfleet gear on the side to the natives, uh, and confronts and, her about it. And what she's actually doing is she was on the first contact mission because she was on another ship called the Keto mm-hmm. and got kind of kicked off. And that's why she's on the Cerritos. And she knows these people. They're farmers and they desperately need some farm equipment and she's helping them out. She's not black marketeering. Right, right. Uh, then there's a and then they get apparently the farmers on this planet farm these giant spiders which look yeah. terrifying and chases them uh turns out that they're uh they're completely herbivores, uh, herbivores and they just like to suck on the people when they grab them need <laughs> moisture <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. there's so there's a great there's a great sequence with one of these spider cows where it um it 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 gets uh Boimler in its maw and is sucking on him to get moisture and he doesn't know that's why. <laughs> and at this point, I think Beckett had managed to get him to like take off his uniform so they could create the dummies for it to go after. And so he's like in his underwear being suckled by this giant yeah. herbivore spider. Uh, and of course, it's his uniform that the spider goes after, not hers. So right. she's back in uniform fairly quickly. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, and then the B plot is, or the second plot, because I don't know if it's a B plot, is back on the ship. The, what was it? The first officer gets bitten by mm-hmm. a bug on the planet, yep. and it right. basically turns him and into we, a zombie. And and so we have, so I like that conceptually, that the B plot, the less important of the plots, is about the main, cr- the, the leaders of the crew, mm-hmm. the bridge officers. <laughs> right. So we've we've got upstairs, downstairs, you know, it's been flipped yep. here. Um, and, and meanwhile, even, even then 
the 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 B plot isn't strictly about the bridge officers. It's really about how our engineer friend is having a date in the midst of the crisis, in the middle of a zombie outbreak, (laughs) and it's like he's having a great date. (laughs) Even even though there's a zombie outbreak around them, and they're dealing with the zombie outbreak, they help with the zombie outbreak. It's still really a date they're on. Yes, well, it's. (laughs) He's he's on a date with this in, with Ensign Barnes, who's a trill, and I thought she her at least her look was very clearly inspired by Esri Dax. Yeah, that's you know, the same short that. haircut, the same you know, of course yeah. with the, the the spots and everything. Although not the personality, she's definitely not as neurotic as Esri, Esri. Dax could yeah. get. Right. Well, and I love the fact that in the end, what it is that that makes the it, it's not the crisis or anything like that that ends up making the date end poorly. It's the fact that. The the Tendi, her name is, uh, or no, not Tendi. Um, would would you say her name was? Brother, was Barnes. Barnes. Barnes is the woman. Okay, in the, yep. in the date. Yeah, Barnes was unconcerned with the fact that a red alert over uh, overrode the maintenance hatch pro- access protocols, and she was she wasn't concerned by that. And Rutherford just couldn't deal with someone who could could be that way with <laughs> toward. Well, he just yeah, yeah he just started he started geeking out about this this uh, door not working right and. <laughs> I, I like at the end of the episode when he's sitting down in the in the lounge with Tendi talking about this. Yeah. And so how did your date go? And it's like, oh, it was great. She was intelligent. We had a lot of fun. I don't think I'll see her again. Why yeah. not? Well, she wasn't concerned about whether Red over over um, Red Alert overrode this door lock. And Tendi's like, oh. I totally understand that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why someone wouldn't be into that. How, yeah, how could she not be interested? <laughs> right. And and, and sure, thus revealing what a what a geek uh, Tendi is mm-hmm. and setting also Tendi had her own adventure because she works in sick bay yep. Yep. during the zombie outbreak. At one point, Dr. Taana, the the cat doctor, um told her to like pump this guy's heart manually <laughs> yes. and and she's like squeezing the guy's heart and it's like i'm sorry and he's going uh, i'm sorry uh, but she's got to keep doing this to keep him alive <laughs> and then and then at the end of it she's like i got to pop a human heart <laughs> <laughs> so she is she's quite the geek And and we now have what I think is going to be and they start to play with this in the next episode, but um, a a romance with um, with Rutherford. Rutherford. Yes. Yes. Uh, So um, I I like Tendi in that. I love it when she first walks into sick bay and I'm supposed to be working with the nurse. That is the nurse. And of course, he's strapped down and, you know, zombified (laughs) and everything. So she's as she's strapping him in, she's shaking his head. Well, it was so great to work. I'll be so glad to work with you. As he's you know, as he's as, spewing black bile all over her. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, um, anything left to say about this first episode? What do you think? I mean, is this long term? This is a, a well. Thing? Of course, we've got we've got the big disclosure at the end of why the captain is so interested. In oh, that's right. That's America. right. Yeah, we should mention that. Yeah. It turns out, so we see the captain talking uh, on the, the, the communications with an admiral. Turns out the admiral is her husband. She's complaining yep. about Mariner. And it turns out Mariner is their daughter, who's been assigned yep. yeah. to the ship. 
Yeah. Uh, and she's trying to get her daughter off the ship. Why was it she didn't like her daughter on, on the ship? She wanted to get her off? She, she she breaks rules, she causes trouble, and she basically undermines her in front of the crew. That's right. right? That's right. Which which she actually does at one point in this episode. at the After they've solved the zombie outbreak problem, which they did because Boimler was covered with spider cow slime. Yep. That yep. had the antidote in it. That's right. And Dr. Ta'ana realized that and manufactured the cure. The captain is giving uh, it, like all of the credit to Dr. Ta'ana. <laughs> and Mariner is saying, hey, it, it give Boiler some credit. Yeah. <laughs> and she, she actually is undermining her mom in front of the crew. Right. Um, but nobody really notices, which is what uh, her father, then the admiral, then says is, I don't think anyone notices when she does that. Right. <laughs> well, there's there's a great line when they realize when the doctor realizes this this slime is the cure. They literally say, you know, protect this slime. And of course, you can take it two ways, you know, protect the slime or, or protect the slime that is the person with the slime. <laughs> yeah, protect Boimler. He's the slime. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, a couple things that I thought to mention. Um, one of them is apparently there was, and I think I remember seeing this, but I didn't pay it a lot of attention. There was um, a, a trailer for the series that got released a number of months ago that portrayed the characters in a way that it is thought to or is said to be very different than how they are on the show. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the trailer well enough to remember how they were portrayed, but apparently a lot of fans were concerned based on what they saw in the trailer um, that they didn't think they would like this. But then when people saw the actual episode, it's like, oh, these characters aren't that way at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if you w did have concerns based on the trailer, give it a shot on its own and see whether or not you like it. Yeah. The the humor is, as you can tell, they have these, you know, character dynamics that are thought out. And so and they're they're setting up character arcs that will play out over the season. Mm -hmm. um, I particularly like a clip they play of upcoming episodes where you have the captain talking to her daughter Mariner and Mariner is being flip and disrespectful and leaving and mm -hmm. and her her mother the captain is like don't you give me that sarcastic falcon salute as she, <laughs> she's doing this live long and prosper thing yeah. while while having an irreverent look on her face yeah um and so I I I'm looking forward to that uh I like character arcs I like the affection that this has for all of prior Star Trek. I like the Easter eggs, I, you know, it's fan service, but I'm a fan. So I'm OK yeah. with that. Um, it's I thought it was a lot of fun. The humor is like a lot of modern humor. It is similar. I have seen a little bit of Rick and Morty and it is similar to that, but it is more family friendly. A little bit than Rick and Morty. Yeah, it yeah. is not entirely family yeah, friendly. Yeah, I want to point that and, out. <laughs> and so you should be aware of that. And yeah, there are jokes in there that eh, it's not to my taste. I'd rather they not do that one. But um, it, if, it, 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 it's kind of on the same par as what The Simpsons used to be. I don't know what The Simpsons is now in terms yeah. of family friendliness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's better than say Family Guy was. Uh, family Guy was yes. not family oh, friendly yeah. at all, uh, right? No. Whereas this this is more towards Simpsons level. But there's still some there's still some innuendo. There's still like the 
the all nude male Olympic holodeck program that, yeah. that get <laughs> where you where we don't see anything. Right. They yeah, they're all turned away, but uh, but they make a joke about yeah. it. Um, this and, and there and a little bit of the humor, like a lot of modern humor on in, in visual media is mildly transgressive, not in the sense of. In the sense of breaking a social taboo or a moral law, but in the sense of, oh, I didn't expect them to go there. Yeah. Um, right. Like early on, one of the very first scenes in this is um, Boimler is in, the, in, even though we're being shown a hero shot of the bridge, Boimler is actually in a closet doing his pretend <laughs> yeah. captain log on an iPad. Right, right. And and Tendy comes in and gets him and they're on shore leave. So what is he doing hiding in a closet doing a pretend captain's log? Right. It's already clear she's been drinking Romulan whiskey, so she's tipsy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and she starts playing with a bat lath while she's tipsy. And she's like playfully menacing Boimler and then like stabs his leg accidentally. Yeah. And and we see some blood. But it's a significant cut from a 20th century perspective. Right. Yeah. And they just look at each other and scream. And we go to the credits, which involves a bunch of sight gags with the Cerritos traveling in space. But so when we come back, you know, since this is the 24th century his leg is totally fine. Yeah. You know, because they just took him to sick bay and ran a magic wand over it. And now it's fine. <laughs> but there's that moment from a 20th century perspective where it's like, I didn't expect them to go there for us to actually see a cut like this. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's true. Uh, Father Craig, uh, what do you think is, uh, did Star Trek need lower decks? Is this a, a positive addition? I, I, you know, I enjoy it. I'm, I'm still, I kind of enjoy it. You know, it's, it's okay. You know, I, I, I really kind of struggle with it a little bit because does it need it? No. Is it fun? Sure. Is it something I'm going to watch? Yeah. And not just because we're doing this, you know, recordings, yeah. but it, it's, it's just different. And I, I don't know. I, I admittedly, I don't have a high tolerance for stupid humor. I mean, I'm a, I can't say that, but, because there's certain things I really like and I really enjoy, you know, but so if it really can, I can see myself being turned off by it. If it goes kind of a certain direction with its humor, kind of like the family guy type humor. Yeah. yeah. I really don't have a high tolerance for that. Um, but I, so far I, I, I found it to be pretty, pretty, pretty good. You know, something it were enjoyable to watch. Let's right. just put it that way. Right. Uh, one thing I got a kick out of there was, uh, I think it was, I think it was Tendy and, and, uh, no, it was, it was Rutherford and Barnes were talking about, you know, the music they like, you know, that classical band, the monkeys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, oh, yes. I'm a believer. <laughs> you know, that was that was great. The monkeys reference. <laughs> also, know, so, another, another piece of humor I just really liked, and it was just a sight gag yeah. uh, where when Tendy first comes in to meet Boimler and Mariner, Boimler is trying to fix a replicator. Yes. And and instead of a usual like we've seen Chief O'Brien fixing replicators all the time and it's like a boring thing. But this replicator is the way it's broken is it's stuck in a mode where it is manufacturing bananas that are hot. <laughs> yeah. So hot bananas. Hot bananas. The touch. They're like really <laughs> hot. They're like hot potato hot bananas instead of hot potatoes. <laughs> and, and so like every five seconds it just spits out a hot banana. And it, yeah. and Boimler will try to pick it up and it'll burn his hands. And it's just this psych gag <laughs> of, okay, let's have a replicator that's spitting out bananas every five seconds and they're like hot potatoes. 
Well, I like the way the computer's saying it too. It's like like on Discovery where they would order, you know, burrito hot with beans, you know, something like that. So it's doing banana hot, banana hot, banana hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do want to. I do yeah, want to ask. Yeah. Um, since we now know that there's not just Romulan ale, but Romulan whiskey, is Romulan whiskey stronger than Romulan ale? Just like earth whiskey is stronger than earth ale <laughs> i would assume so if we've mapped romulan <laughs> beverage terms onto english beverage terms i assume that we'd follow some rough conventions there may be romulan yeah. port that's slightly sweet <laughs> yeah <laughs> romulan champagne very, very bubbly uh yeah. so um uh, we did get an email a preemptive email from a uh a listener a patron uh george who uh sent this along he says uh so i just watched the first two episodes and he he says uh it's a mixed bag for me uh why the crude humor it's too over the top although some of it's pretty funny did they get all their ideas from the orville although the show might not last very long if they continue to reference everything from all previous star trek shows as often as they do haha not really i think i'll watch another episode or two but i don't see it getting much better well, uh, you know, I think different people have different reactions, just like they do to everyone. Date goes to bus non est disputandum. Mm-hmm. Um, and that applies especially to humor, because as the Emperor Cartagia reminds us. Humor is such a subjective thing. Don't you think, Malari? So, <laughs> yes. you know, your mileage may vary, but I really enjoyed it. OK, I think uh, we're all agreed. That we like it a little better than better than George did. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think I, I think we could, you know, crude humor. Yeah, I, I could do without it. But I liked the references to other Star Trek shows. I like the Easter eggs. Um, I think some of it's funny. You could you could overdo that and that could get could get old uh, you know, quickly. But if they can kind of continue to develop the characters a bit, I think there's actually some potential in the characters. Well, there's going to be there's going to be something the next episode we'll talk about where I, I think, you know, they, they are really developing the characters and it, it's being really well done in this. Um, they're not just flat characters, like so many, you know, like we talked about the Simpsons, there really has never been a lot of development of characters in the Simpsons. And that's the whole point. It's right. The same not, basic not, character. Not, not after season three, yes. you know, and you know, and it, it's this, they are trying to do it where they're, these aren't just flat characters that are the same characters every week, you know, there's yeah. going to be aspects that will keep coming up week after week after week, but they are developing the characters. And I, I think that's going to be to its benefit. And it's, it is a, I, I mean, I think it is a well done series. It just might not be my taste completely, at least not yet, but I do enjoy it. It yes. just, you know, it is a well done series. It's still Star Trek. It's not at my top, but yeah. it's not, you know, terrible either. So it, no, I, I, I think it's uh, worthwhile. At the at the moment, if you ask me, would you like to see a brand new episode of of Lower Decks, or would you rather see a brand new episode of Discovery? <laughs> uh, I think I'm going yeah. with Lower Decks. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if I'm there yet, but uh, but yeah, I I, I mean I, I appreciate it. All right, I think we should wrap it up there. Uh, we're we're threatening to go longer than the actual episode <laughs> that we're covering. We're talking about the second episode uh, called Envoys. Uh, so uh, just first brief overall impressions of Envoys. What did you think of this this uh, episode that it's got the uh, two basically two plots, uh, one involving Boimler and uh, Beckett Mariner. 
and a second plot involving Devana Tendi and Rutherford. What did you think of this episode overall? Father Corey? Yeah, I was I, I have to admit the, the, the first the A plot, if you will, with with uh, Boimler and, and Mariner, I kind of cringed a little bit throughout much of that. Just and we'll we'll talk about kind of I mean, just basically she was a know it all right during this episode. Um the other plot between uh Tendi well, especially with Rutherford, where he's going yeah. between he's he's he wants to, to spend time with Tendi, so he's gonna change careers. <laughs> and I thought that was really well done. Yeah. I, I thought that was kind of fun to fun to to see, it, you know, because when in the first episode, the, the the bridge crew seemed almost cold and arrogant, and then they kind of flipped it on their head for this episode, where they're actually willing to work with Rutherford and right. supportive of him as he's trying these different careers even when he hits the one uh in ops where he was not cut out for it whatsoever because <laughs> yeah. he because he killed all the all the kids <laughs> yes yeah, was accidentally. A, accidentally accidentally yes jimmy what did you think of this episode uh overall i enjoyed it overall um at the end of last episode we had and this is so we see character arcs being developed in this episode that were set up in the first episode. In the first episode, it ended with Mariner announcing that she was going to be a mentor for Boimler. And we see that happening in this episode. In the A plot of this episode, Boimler has been assigned to take a a high-ranking Klingon to some peace negotiations, but he gets drunk and steals their shuttle. Right. And and Boimler then has to get the shuttle back, which he does with Mariner's help. And at first she's like overclassing him and everything because she has actual experience in the field. And this is his mm-hmm. first assignment. Um, but we 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 get the sense very clearly by the end of the episode that she's taking her role as a mentor seriously. She's seriously right. trying to help this guy and is willing to go out of her way and even lose face in front of others in order to help him. Right. Um, the the B-plot uh, is also growing out of the previous episode, where just at the end, after Rutherford had had a date with another woman who was turned out she was great, but not quite nerdy enough, we had a little <laughs> spark of, hey, there could be a relationship with Tindy, the Orion woman. And and we start to, because she is geeky, and and that starts to pay off here as uh, they have a sort of date to watch a nebula together, mm-hmm. and but his work schedule interferes with that. And then he makes this decision out of the blue, and uh, this is something they could have chalked up to his cybernetic implant or something, but didn't, um, to like, get out of engineering and try another job so his schedule will be different. Hmm. And I'm going, really? Other people have to report for, to work, too. I don't know that being, could you just maybe shift to a different shift in engineering? <laughs> right. Um, so I thought that it was an implausible premise that someone would suddenly change career tracks like that. But once I accept that and say, okay, that's what they're doing, I thought it was well played. And one of the things, as Father Corey mentioned, is it got us to introduce the different bridge officers. Yep. So we learned more about them uh, because he tried out each of the different major departments. Mm-hmm. And so we got to get another sense of the characters who were who otherwise you would think would be the stars of the show, but actually are the supporting cast. Mm-hmm. And I I enjoyed how they played that because 
as father said, you know, they flipped the hero mode script on us. Uh, yep. It wasn't it wasn't, you know, you're the best engineer. I can't afford to lose you. It wasn't that at all. He when he goes up to the chief engineer to say, I want to transfer. They do play it for comedy, making it hard to say, oh, you're my best number one engineer. You know, I, I wish all the engineers here were like you. My life would be so much easier. I want to transfer. Well, that's just great. If there are new career opportunities, yeah. uh, any department would be fine to have you. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and 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 they do that more than once, where mm -hmm. the where you're expecting the senior bridge officer to be angry, and he's actually supportive. Well, and they even kind of play that up where he acts like he's angry, and you get the looming, darkened view, and all of a sudden, that's great. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know, some people uh, I've seen complain, like, oh, the implausibility of the situations, you know, the, the idea that, you know, he would completely change careers in order to spend more time with her or that sort of thing. Uh, but in, in some ways, it feels a lot like the workplace comedies we become used to, whether it's uh, the, the, you know, was it Ninth Precinct? I've only, uh, pre I forget what it's called, but the Precinct 99. Precinct 99 or The Office or Parks and Rec, yeah. which are all kind of farcical workplace comedies. And that's kind and, of what this is playing out as is a workplace comedy. And let, let's be honest, mm -hmm. Star Trek is full of implausible situations <laughs> that they <laughs> turn into episodes. So this isn't unique to this. <laughs> At least they're playing it for comedy here. So, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so one of the, the things, uh, that that comes up. So this uh the A plot of uh Mariner and Boimler going down to the surface with this uh Klingon general Corin. Uh they they I like the the fact that they kind of make fun of the the why do all Klingon names sound the same? Well they all have an apostrophe in them. Yeah. <laughs> like the whole thing about that. And they they go down to this planet, uh Talgana for and they lose he wants to land in not at the Federation Embassy, but in Little Konos. So this idea that in this this uh, colony, there are like Chinatowns, Koreatown, Chinatown, yeah. Little Italy. Well, there's Little Konos. Yeah. It even has an arch, like a Klingon style arch. It looks like a Chinese arch. Yes, yes. Uh, so I, I I did enjoy that, and then uh, they uh, end up traveling through this city, tra tracking down this. It's sort of a it's a quest, you know, sort of plot. Mm -hmm. We're trying to track down, follow Corin and the, the 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 stolen shuttle, and they keep ending up in these. Difficult situations. Uh, they end up in like little Risa or Risa Town, um, and and there's a, a a sultry woman who approaches Boimler, who uh, I, we're supposed to think she's maybe a Risen, and she wants to uh, have Jamaharon, which is actually a Star Trek some kind of some kind of practice. We don't know what it is, and we don't want to know. We don't want to yeah, get into exactly. that. Yes, uh, <laughs> but it turns out she's some kind of creature that uh, if you ki if you if he were to ki have kissed her, she would have implanted eggs in his throat, and like so that yeah. it's kind of this funny thing. Like yeah, you know, in in the Star mm -hmm. Trek universe, yeah, there's probably like aliens who are like that. Like there were just these weird, yep. uh, you know, vampire like aliens that you got to run into. I actually remember a similar. Uh, gag in the pilot of Babylon 5, where you have on the Zocalo a, a woman coming on to a guy, and she's actually from a race that eats their mates like Black Widow spiders, and he doesn't <laughs> yeah. know that. Right. right. <laughs> uh, well, and the, and the ultimately what we, you know, Mariner never wanted to go on this mission, uh, but when she finds out who it is, she kind of worms her way in and actually gets in charge of it, whereas Boimler he saw this as this great opportunity to shine, even though he's just piloting, you know, he's uh, piloting the shuttle. He's sort of uh, 
not really important well, and, at all. And she knows she's she knows this Klingon from long yeah. before from one of her previous missions. So, you know, so they, they, for her, it's a chance to hang with one of her friends. Yeah. Right. Right. And so uh, well, one of the things that's interesting. So we, we've kind of established that that Boimler is brand new to Starfleet and mm-hmm. and that Mariner is about the same age, about the same amount of experience. But somehow she's had all of these experiences. I think this is going to be a running gag is that somehow this ensign has had all of these experiences well, that we know that she's we know that she's had rank before. Yeah, and she's been she's busted been down to ensign. OK, um, now this I is kind of what, this I, kind of one that hmm? I think she's been I think she's like four years older. Than yeah, Boimler and has had four years of experience. Okay. Well, I also I also think, and this is a, some, a comment I saw someone say online, which I could see them doing this, where some of the experiences she has is because of serving on other starships, but some of the experiences she has is because she was a kid on starships with her parents, uh-huh. like say the Enterprise D. Yeah. I could see them doing something where they bring in the Enterprise D in a flashback. Oh. And it turns out she was one of the kids on the D kind of throughout the TNG era so that a lot of what she knows is because she was actually just on a starship as a kid, not because of any life experience she has. That's a really good point, Father. Whatever ship she may have been on, if she's the daughter of an admiral and a captain, mm-hmm. she probably grew up on starships right. and, yeah. and and has a lot of experience just from that. And I, I think it's going to. And I, I, I'm I'm wondering if they're going to she's going to be kind of doing this, this know it all. I know all these different things and all these different races and all that. And it's going to trip her up at some point and not not in the fake way they did at the end where she set the whole thing up to make him look good. But like, really, it's she's going to hit a situation where all of a sudden she's it not trips her up because, yeah, she's not as knowledgeable as she seems. Well, I also think it. it it raises interesting possibilities, by the way. You mentioned that the, of getting guest voice actors in in flashbacks, like, you know, whether it's Riker or Geordi or somebody uh, yep. from TNG. That, I can see that coming up in the future. Mm-hmm. That would be cool, too. One of the things we talked about last episode is how affectionate this is towards uh, Star Trek, even though it's a Star Trek parody or Star Trek comedy. Mm-hmm. And all comedy involves some degree of self-parody. Um it's affectionate and it's clearly written by people who know Star Trek intimately and are able to interact with it on a pretty deep level. So um, one of my favorite bits in this episode is where Boimler, I mean, we go through this series of encounters in the A plot where Boimler keeps messing up. We mentioned the one about the woman who wants to lay eggs in his throat, Mm -hmm. which is the grossest of them. (laughs) There are others. And, you know, every episode it's going to have something that's a little gross, but not too much of that because they're trying to keep it relatively family friendly. Um, There's another where we, where they go into a bar in the Andorian sector and they see what appears to be an Andorian elder being about to be beaten up by younger people. And Boimler leaps to his defense and he gets out his phaser. Of course, it's on stun, but he gets out his phaser and it's like, get away from that elder. And 
It's not an elder. It's a Vindorian, which is a shape-changing alien from Star Trek, the animated series. <laughs> right. And so it's from the episode, The Survivor. And so uh, so if you're a fan of the animated series, here's yes. something for you. You'll recognize the Vindorian shape-changer. Um, it looks kind of like a red octopus standing on tippy toes. Hmm. And uh, I remembered that instantly from, from my childhood before they even said its name. As soon as they showed it, it's like, that's from the animated series. <laughs> and so they're they're really into the deep corners of the trivia. But it's not just trivia. They also are thinking about the mechanics of Star Trek writing, because mm -hmm. after that scene, Boimler has like lost his confidence and is uh, having a crisis of faith and thinks that he shouldn't he shouldn't even be in Starfleet. And here is what he says. I guess I'm just not cut out for Starfleet. Oh, please. You're Mr. Starfleet. No, I'm not. Not like you are. I should just turn in my uniform and go work on a research asteroid. <gasps> no, absolutely not. Do not even joke about that. That is the lamest thing you could do. I should just study bugs on a far off planet and then eventually get eaten. And no one will even know until they stumble across my distress call. But it'll be way too late. And then they'll have to spend a bunch of time deciphering how things went wrong based on my final shaky video logs. <laughs> and that is just that's the best rant ever it is so meta and it like we have seen that exact plot play out i, I think they have at least one per season in yeah. you know tng and tos at least and and it shows how the the writers of lower decks are aware of this and are able to make jokes like that but they're doing it affectionately mm -hmm. yeah yeah it, it is it, it is this the series so far is full of that affectionate, not just Easter eggs, but affectionate connections to the rest of Star Trek. I mean, it's it's almost a fan yeah. production. Like if if a bunch of fans got together and made a fan film, this is the sort of thing you, you do is is you make these references. Asterisk a good fan film. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. yes. yes. <laughs> let's, let's let's stipulate. Uh, so the other plot with Rutherford. Uh, trying out all the different positions. What I love is, is he, he first he goes to, he wants to try operations. So he's going to try to be a bridge officer and he ends up in, as you mentioned, the, uh, what, what is apparent, almost a Kobayashi Maru holodeck simulation where yeah. uh, you have, you have a warp breach imminent, the temporal rift. And he just basically freezes up. Uh, I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, just keep flying, just keep flying. And <laughs> the ship ends, ends up destroying. And then, and then the, uh, the first officer says you should have used the Janeway protocol, but what was the Janeway protocol? I forget what that they is. They never said. They <laughs> never said. Okay. Uh, um, yeah, I, I'm sure it was, to, it was supposed to be like a nod to like the Picard maneuver type of thing. You know? <laughs> yes. Something do you do when a, when a starship encounters a temporal rift? Uh, because as we know, Voyager had its fair share of oh, yes. <laughs> temporal rifts that was getting pulled into. Uh, and then... Yeah. So they actually started him with like a level 34 advanced training scenario. Right. And so they knock it back to level four. So this is like the kindergarten level training scenario. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he still freezes up and it's like, what do you want to do, Captain? Uh, the Janeway maneuver and the bridge, the simulated bridge officers are like, is he serious? Yeah. <laughs> and it still goes wrong. It, it, yeah. He's supposed to avoid an asteroid that's right in their path. Like all he has to do is say, 
turn to the left. <laughs> you know, yeah. hard abort. <laughs> all he has to do. Well, and then the it. asteroid hits and takes out both the kindergarten and the pre-K, <laughs> ejecting all the kids out into space. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, and then the 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 second in command, I forget his name, comes back on, comes into the holodeck again, and is like killing all of the children in that simulation has like literally never happened in history before. <laughs> Let's do it on a ship with more kids. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's a commander Ran- ransom is his name. And he's voiced that's by Jerry right. O'Connell of sliders fame. Jerry O'Connell. Oh. That's right. That's right. So then he also ends up in sick bay where he, he's actually really good at the mechanics of, you know, fixing people. But he has a horrible bedside manner where he's basically telling the guy, oh, you have like an 18% chance of living. But that's pretty good. You know, well, of now dying. it's 20. Of dying, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Now it's a 20% chance of dying. What? And he gets kicked out of that. And then ends up in security where we, we talked before about uh, the Bajoran security chief, uh, Shax. It, who, who wants uh, to blow, wants to blow up all the warp cores he can? <laughs> yes, and uh, so he loads up combat. Goes to the holiday combat simulation smorgasbord, which involves yeah. a bunch of Borg attacking him, and in, but, in a wrestling ring. In a wrestling yeah. ring, right? <laughs> and 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 you expect oh he's going to be overwhelmed here, but no, because he's a cybernetically enhanced human being, he totally takes down all the Borg. Uh, yeah. Something which no one has ever done before. Uh, he's he's able to use his implant where it basically plots out where's the weak point on each Borg. Right. And right. then just kicks their butt, literally. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's a natural born warrior. Um, but but Rutherford in the end decides, no, my heart is not in uh, being a security officer. It's being an engineer. And once again, like you said before, it's like, what? That's awesome. You do what makes you happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, this, one thing I do like about the, the security officer is that just a little thing they threw in, you know, he's Bajoran and he goes, by the prophets. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. This, right. That. Yep. I, I like this. This sequence reminded me of a of an arc that they had on Community, where one of the characters on Community, Troy, wants to be with his friends, but in order to help his friends, he ends up becoming a, an air conditioning repairman and he is like inducted into this secret cabal of air conditioner repairmen and he's like gifted as an air conditioning repairman he is like so he's the, the almost the messiah of air conditioning repairmen and so it's like he has this destiny awaiting him as an air conditioner repairman if he'll only take it but no he wants his friends right and that's like what we have happening here with rutherford he's because he's got the vulcan implant all he had to do was tap it it did a scan on all the borg it says combat routine optimized in his visual field and he just and it just implements and he's he's got like you are the chosen one of (laughs) security officers <laughs> if you will you know he gets inducted into what Shax calls the the bear pack right. of the security team and uh and i like at one point they're making bear noises to show their appreciation and stuff <laughs> um but uh but he he turns his back on that destiny in order to go back to his true love yes yep. which uh, is which is the jeffrey's tubes the jeffrey's tubes right and the eps conduits so uh the uh Back with Mariner and Boimler, uh, Mariner, meanwhile, 
gets Boimler's self-confidence back by setting up a situation where they have to walk through essentially the central park of, of Togano four, uh, yeah. where they are waylaid by a Ferengi who's all of the stereotypes of Ferengi, uh, right there on screen, uh, who's trying to trick them very obviously into following them someplace where he can, you know, waylay them and, 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 uh, uh, rob them of whatever they have. And Mariner is so like transparently dumb about it. She's, Oh, that's not a Frankie. That's a bullion, obviously. And, and he's trying to just ha- take us to a shuttle. And he, and, uh, was a Boimler. Boimler. Yeah. Is, uh, so, uh, like, no, I, I know better. And even Boimler, who's not really all that complicated things, figures out the situation and, and that he's not supposed to go and ends up saving the, the day. Uh, and, uh, and then we find out later on that the Ferengi is actually another friend of Mariner's from her past, uh, mm-hmm. a, a Ferengi named Quimp that, uh, that she arranged this with in order to help, uh, Boimler. But I, I, I like, if I remember right, when we see him as he normally is, not when he's dressed as a mugger, he's like wearing a monocle. <laughs> he's got a monocle, he's got a monocle <laughs> like a, you know, that proper suit and everything. <laughs> yes. Very yes. Proper in his speech and. Yeah, he's not going humans and steepling his fingers, you know, the, as as you, <laughs> yeah. which which Boimler pointed out, he's he's steepling his fingers. That's obviously uh, makes him a Ferengi. <laughs> yeah. So and and this is and we we learn from this that this is um, Mariner taking seriously her the role she's chosen as Boimler's mentor because he was having a crisis of faith. He was like going to quit Starfleet right out the gate, you know, on his after his first assignment goes sideways and she wanted to build his confidence back up. So she arranged an encounter with her friend, this Ferengi, to give him a win so that she, so that he would get his confidence back. And even though he's like bragging about it later at her expense in, in the bar back on the ship, um, she doesn't. She doesn't break kayfabe. She she just uh, lets him do that and uh, and is willing to lose face in order to help Mm -hmm. him. And that shows that she's really a good friend and a good mentor for him. So uh, any last thoughts about this episode of uh, Lower Decks? I I enjoyed it. I, I look forward to seeing where they go next. Okay. So this week's episode was called Temporal Edict. Uh, and uh, here's the, the brief overview is a, a new work protocol issued by the uh, captain uh, eliminates buffer time and has the Cerritos crew running ragged as they try to keep up with their lightened schedules, quote unquote, or tightened schedules, put it another way. Uh, so Ensign Mariner and Commander Ransom, meanwhile, are on an away mission and things go wrong. <laughs> so now. I will say that this episode should be shown for every manager training, you know, whether it is you're working retail or working in a corporate environment, this is, should be shown to every manager as they're being trained. That's right. Jimmy, how not to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, so there's our a plot, which is the Titan schedule and our B plot, which is the away mission that goes wrong. Right. Right. This is a pretty standard Star Trek, uh, a and B plot. So it, I like the fact we begin with a parody of those violin concerts they were always having on the, the Enterprise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. So uh, Boimler is playing a violin and doing a jig at the same time. And this is a 
thing. I oh, yeah. know two fiddlers who do that on my Morris dance wow. team. Uh, our fiddlers both have uh, learned they they can do it either as a solo jig or as a double jig. But I love introducing fiddlers jig, which is the name of the routine they do. Uh-huh. Um, I'll be talking to the to the audience and at, we'll do it after we've done several dances, which are very energetic. And then I'll say to the audience, now, thus far, the dancers have been um, have been, you know, out here being vigorous and the musicians have just been kicking back. I don't think that's fair. How would you <laughs> like to see the musicians play and dance at the same time? And of course, the crowd always wants that. Yep. And so the, then I introduce the one, the only fiddler's jig and I bring them on. <laughs> and so this is a real thing. It was neat seeing it, even though the music is not as good. It was interesting <laughs> seeing a fiddler's jig on Star Trek. The crew doesn't seem all that impressed, by the way. They are a little unsure about <laughs> Boimler's performance. That, that's the thing I always get a kick out. I got a kick out of because, of course, in TNG, they always had, you know, Rikers down there playing jazz or, you know, the, the, the classical music uh, quartet or whatever. Yep. Yeah. And it's and everybody's all excited by it. It's so wonderful. And here it's just like. <laughs> well, <laughs> and then Mariner and uh, Devon Attendee show up with electric guitar and drums and they go like heavy metal that it's so loud. It's heard not just throughout the ship. But even outside the ship, on the Klingon ship that's nearby. <laughs> over, over Are you the mocking calm. us with this base? <laughs> what is the meaning of this outrageous base? Are you mocking me? <laughs> so and that's the teaser. It doesn't really have anything to do with the rest of the episode. They they kind of end with with her. The, the, the poor the poor Klingon engineer though that get gets killed because of the calm problem. Oh, yeah. it must be on your side. Kill him. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, one thing that kind of comes through is, is Captain Freeman, the the captain here, is uh she seems very angry all the time. I guess that's the the uh, the her character arc or her character mm-hmm. trait uh, trait that they are trying to portray is she's always angry. She's really upset about the time all the time, and she's always thinking that no one's respecting her. So that's uh that comes through the rest of the episode. That that's one bit that plays through. Uh, so uh, after the the teaser we come in after the credits we we get the real idea which is cerritos is en route to cardassia for uh, a peace treaty peace. between somebody and somebody else and uh but it but they get interrupted at this point i i love the the so the admiral gets on the phone and tells the captain that we've rescheduled this peace conference for vulcan and I love the reason she gives. It's because the Cardassians are creeping everybody out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so you'll just, uh, Captain, have to wait for the next once in a lifetime peace conference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In the meantime, you have to go make second contact with uh, Gelrak 5 and uh, deliver some diplomatic trinkets, as she's told. <laughs> I couldn't when he when she said diplomatic trinkets, I couldn't help you reminded of triumphal ornaments which were a thing that they had in ancient rome in ancient Mm -hmm. rome if you had a major military victory they could vote you a triumph which was like a major public celebration of your victory yeah but Mm -hmm. eventually they started restricting the triumph to only members of the imperial family Mm -hmm. and so what do you what do you do if you have a general who wins something that used to would have gotten a triumph but now we're restricting those to members of the imperial family well you reward them not by giving them a triumph but by giving them triumphal ornaments (laughs) 
Right. And yeah. and so I just couldn't. Diplomatic trinkets reminded me of triumphal ornaments. That's funny. <laughs> so at, at this point, Captain Freeman is convinced that Starfleet doesn't take Cerritos seriously, that uh, they don't do enough to earn the respect that they deserve, and that the crew is uh, probably slacking on their job. So we kind of we've set up the A plot here. Uh, meanwhile, in the brig, Mariner, Boimler, Tendi, and uh, Rutherford, there are four main characters. They're working are, on. They're, they're slacking on their job. Right. Well, they they're fixing yeah. the force fields of the cells, and yeah. then they're like, "Okay, we're done now. Let's hang out and you know relax." And we get this famous idea that Scotty first proposed, which is yep. always quadruple your time estimates for how long a job's going to take so that they think you're a, a miracle worker when you get it done early. Well, they've taken it to the next level, which is so we can we can slack off and, and, and be lazy and not do the next thing that we have to do uh, <laughs> and just waste time. time. Right. So they, they have buffer time. So uh, Captain Freeman goes on a, uh, a, a rampage through the ship because she hears someone refer to buffer time, a crewman, and, she, and so she says... Uh, she corners Boimler and gets him to tell her what buffer time is because he's typical. Like, I want to follow the rules. I'm a good Starfleet officer and I'm, I'm always going to do the thing the captain says to do. And he blaps. Uh, he, he can't help it. And she issues an order that um, that no buffer time, that everyone's going to have a, a, a really short period of time to get every task done. And that's that. And, and, and so from now on, no more buffer time. I, I like the line she used when uh, she saw the, the two ensigns just kind of slowly walk. And it's like, don't be in a hurry. It's not like we're exploring the galaxy or anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, after a week, we, we'd skip ahead a week. And after a week, everyone is now run ragged, uh, except for except Boimler. Boimler. <laughs> yeah. Boimler loves it. Yeah. yeah, he loves being timed on every task. He's that, he's that guy that you work with, you know. He, he's uh, the workaholic. He's, he's the one that's like, you know, if I'm not doing two tasks, I'm I'm slacking. Right. Uh, nobody can get their TPS reports filed on time. And so they're, so they're, they're uh, everything's going wrong. I mean, this is obviously right from this, from the get go, this is a bad idea, making people run to do things and not enough time because it means they're not going to get the job done properly. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Mariner uh, is, is tasked with going on an away mission with commander ransom, the first officer, this diplomatic mission to Gelrak five. Uh, uh, but because they're being run ragged. They bring the wrong peace totem, and that starts a war with these crystal spear people. And uh, they get imprisoned. They have to pick a champion to fight the Galrickian champion. And, uh, it, it, and there's this argument between Ransom and Mariner about who gets to be the champ, the, the one to fight the champion. You know, uh, Mariner contends that Ransom's too much of the straight-laced you know, uh, guy who follows rules uh, whereas she's got the scars to prove that she's got, she's willing to put it all out there and got experience uh, because she and, always breaks and the she, rules. She, and she knows how to fight in a way he doesn't. Right. Is the argument. She fights to win. Uh, and uh, and so he, he says, you know, you're right. And then stabs her in the foot with the crystal spear <laughs> so that she can't fight. Uh, meanwhile, the Galrickians have launched an invasion, a boarding party. These people armed with spears who have starships to, uh, yeah. to invade the, the, the Cerritos. And so because everybody's so run ragged from the strict scheduling, they're, they're too tired to repel the, the border. They, they, just, they just don't even bother. They just keep doing whatever they were doing. Well, they don't even worry about the border. And, and the captain tells them to. She says, resist the invaders, but do not stop your current tasks. You have to do <laughs> both now. Right. 
So they, they, they multitask on the enterprise. Don't you know? Yes, exactly. Yeah. They bring that up. We have the enterprise name drop. Uh, I also, before we move on, I want to note that this is supposed to be a second contact mission and they are, and this is something they've said before that they did this when they visit in the first episode where they made second contact with people and ransom both times has referred to these people just having been brought into the Federation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's not how it would work. You <laughs> no. don't meet somebody and immediately bring them into the Federation. You meet somebody and then you have second contact, maybe go on a few dates, have some premarital counseling, and then you get hitched. <laughs> right, exactly. It's, you don't elope the first time you meet. That's a bad idea. Uh, so uh, Ransom has to have this battle, the Galrickian champion who looks a lot like the Hulk. This is a throwback to Thor Ragnarok, really. I felt like this was a, uh, mm. a, a, a feel of that. So Vind- Vindor, but except Vindor, the Galrickian champion, he he's actually thoughtful. And he says to the to his leader, you know, maybe we could judge people, I don't know, by a jury of their peers based on a constitutional body of laws. Like, no, we should judge people based on com- trial by combat. He's like, all right. <laughs> so uh death race oh. <laughs> death race is what they come up with next uh so in the ransom's battle with vindor he throws away his sword and uses the classic i don't know if you notice it's a classic kirk oh, yeah. two-fist oh, pummeling yeah. method it <laughs> just beats the heck out of him with it <laughs> yes but uh, this is how you fight apparently is you put your two fists together and you pummel the other guy with it that's like it's kirk always won every battle that way uh a boimler meanwhile on the on the ship goes to free the captain and he's like, okay, this is wrong. I love being timed because it works for me. And uh, I, I'm so good at it, but nobody else can do this. So he says, for the good of the ship, we have to loosen up, but we have to let the crew figure out how to get the job done the best way they can without saying you have 60 seconds to do every task. Uh, and Boimler loves rules and regulations, but the, the captain says, I'm going to institute a new rule, the Boimler effect which will encourage shortcuts and prevent people from blindly following rules, which is the opposite of what Boimler wants. Uh, attached to his name. Yes, attached exactly. to his name. I mean, it's what he wants the ship to do, but he not uh, not in his name. <laughs> right, right. right. Yeah. So well, it's great. As, as soon as the captain says, figure it out yourself, do do the things best, all of a sudden everybody immediately is, they're throwing pads, they're they're attacking. I think you saw the, the side jump where the, you know, basically they throw their bodies at other at the invaders. <laughs> that's right, that's right. The they like, easily repel the invaders at this point. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Ransom and Mariner have returned to the Ransom you know, won his battle. And so Ransom and Mariner are back on the ship. Mariner's in the sick bay getting her foot fixed. Uh, she thinks he's going to court-martial. But he, no, he thinks she's going to bring charges against him for stabbing her because that's what you would do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's sort of attracted to him now for like some yeah, weird reason. Yep. We've got a budding romance between them. They're both attracted to each other. Right, right. And so she says, no, I won't. I won't uh, bring charges. You did the thing that was right, you know, to that break the rule in order to, to accomplish the goal. And he says, oh, thanks. That's really great. All right, boys, throw her in the break for rolling up her uniform sleeves because <laughs> he had told yeah. her to unroll her <laughs> uniform sleeves earlier. And she's like, what? This is a classic like the uh, the uh, parable of the unjust judge. You know, the yeah. <laughs> or was it the unjust judge or the uh, the, the guy with the debt? No, That's it was what it is. The, 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 the servant. 
Right, with the servant dead. Who, servant was forgiven much mm. and yeah. didn't forgive the one who... Yeah. <laughs> so, so as she's being thrown, uh, th- taken away to be thrown on the bridge, and she's uh, throwing all kinds of verbal abuse at him, and then he and kind of... And kicking stuff. Yes, and, and he's thinking about how uh, she's uh, attractive for some reason now. Um, and then uh, Boimler gets assured that no one will ever remember the Boimler effect. That's it's 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 it, It'll be forgotten in a few months. And then we get a far future in the far yep. future of the Federation. They remember him as the laziest, most corner cutting Starfleet officer in history. Yep. And, and, which is what would happen if you yep. have a law like that named after someone, which yep. is exactly why he didn't want it named after. <laughs> right, him. Exactly. I like, so we see, have this scene with a teacher, you know, instructing a, a class of children and there's it and they're little children of different races, including a Borg. Yes. There's a little Borg yep. child there. So apparently the Borg are in the Federation now <laughs> and she's and she's got this huge golden statue, which is actually modeled off of a classic Superman cover. Right. Where you have you have Boimler with a big eagle sitting on his outstretched arm. And only he's got this painful expression on his face, like the <laughs> eagle's claws are hurting him. Right. And and then she says, but that's enough about Boimler. Now let's talk about the most important person in the history of the Federation. And the statue shimmers and you're going, who is this going to be? Chief Miles O'Brien. <laughs> and it's like, yes, at his console. yes, yes. yes. <laughs> O'Brien is the key to everything. Yes. <laughs> Which, by by the way, uh, if, if you haven't seen it, the, the webcomic Chief O'Brien at work is absolutely hilarious. Oh, my gosh. I haven't heard of that one. I have to check it out. It, it's all like single, you know, single frame or, you know, single room. Panel. Where he's standing at his console and, you know, oh, there's an emergency. Oh, I can I can help out. Oh, no, just stay there at the transporter. You're fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so no, it, it's 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 an interesting one it, it's funny that's good. um yeah it, so that, actually i saw a comment that yeah. you know chief o'brien's a good example of you know who would be the most important because he goes from like nobody just kind of an ent you know or an enlisted to right. you know, of course you know chief engineer ds9 and things like that so. he pretty much saves the federation you know against the dominion several times yeah. single-handedly yep. mm-hmm. uh so uh so that's the episode. Any any final notes on the this this episode of Lower Decks, it's, Father Corey? It, uh, it's interesting that all the, the shuttles are named after California national parks, at least that we've seen so far. We've right. seen Yosemite mm-hmm. and we've seen Death Valley. <laughs> Death Valley. So, so in other words, uh, the shuttles are all Mac OS. Yes, that's right. Uh, I'm waiting for Mojave and Catalina uh, to come up. That should be good. <laughs> Jimmy? Nope. All right. It's- and the latest episode that has been released is called Moist Vessels. So Moist Moist Vessel, which moist vessel. is singular. Which is, yeah. yeah, which doesn't make much sense, but it makes about as much sense as a lot of the discovery titles. So <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> actually this you could kind of argue with the whole fluid thing that we're going to be talking about so yes. you can kind of fit it in but yeah. Yeah. So this the the, uh, the plot is the Cerritos is uh, along with another ship uh, which is another California place. Uh, the Merced. Merced. That's right. Merced, California. Uh, Latin for reward. <laughs> they are uh, at a generation shift a ship that's been adrift for ever centuries or something. Never reached its destination. It has a crew that's died in suspended animation. I guess they're yeah. mummified. Well, they're. I, I don't know that they're actually dead. Hmm. Uh, they, um, they, I thought they basically said that it, they, yes. the cryo 
bins had died, had hmm. failed, and so they're all mummified in there. Right. The captain's okay. log, her, the crew adrift for centuries, mummified and disabled cryo units. So uh, that means the ship is fair game for salvage for Starfleet that wants their unique biotechnology, this molecular fluid, which generates life from inorganic material. It's called axonite. I'm just kidding. (laughs) 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 But if the, the fluid will transform any or inorganic material into organic material uh, for the purpose of terraforming. And so uh, the, the Merced is another uh, California class ship, just like the Cerritos. Her captain is a Tellarite that uh, captain uh, Freeman uh, knows from you know from ages ago when they served together uh there's a briefing for the senior crew and mariner is there i guess she's like delivering pads and coffee uh she keeps yawning at at the big information dump, which i think is hysterical because you know that's the, like these big staff meetings that they always had on tng where there's all, it's all this information dump but i always picture someone in the back going uh couldn't this been done in a, in like a powerpoint <laughs> Some instance standing in the corner by the coffee machine going, why am I here? <laughs> right. Couldn't you just send out a memo? Uh, so. <laughs> oh, and now that, now that I think about it, Merced is actually Spanish for mercy. mercy. I was thinking Mercedes in Latin. Oh, right. right. Uh, so w- remember, Mariner is Freeman's daughter, but I don't think anyone on the ship or most people on the ship know that. It's like a it's like a little secret. And, They've never made explicit like that she's even told her number one or anybody like that. Right, right. And it's it's implied that nobody knows. Uh, hmm. So she calls her into her office and uh, she, you know, gives her a, 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 a dressing down uh, because she's been being um, disrespectful, disrespectful in front of others. Right. And the Tellerite captain was very like, uh, is this how you run your ship? And uh, so... Uh, <laughs> Mariner leaves by giving the uh, a sarcastic Vulcan salute, which uh, yeah. the captain doesn't like. Leading to one of the greatest audio clips that I've been waiting for, which we will hear right now. Don't you give me that sarcastic Vulcan salute! Beg it! So the uh, the captain decides <laughs> that she, she's trying to get Mariner to ask for a transfer off her her daughter Beckett uh, to, to get a transfer off, and so she's going to give her all the, like this is a another trope. Uh, from from reverse a, psychology. Reverse, she's yep. going to give her all the worst jobs to make her on the ship to make her want a transfer. Right, and it, it's it's interesting to see a reverse psychology plot in this day and age. They used to be really common. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I remember back in the seventies, and I think even eighties, and also in the sixties, there were all these reverse psychology plots in sitcoms. Right, yep. right. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, it's well, it's been done to death, I think, is part of the reason. <laughs> Meanwhile, so the B plot here is Tendi. She's the uh, Orion science uh, junior officer who she and who wants everyone to like her. Uh, she's been invited to attend this crewman's ascension ceremony. And so they go into this whole thing of like kind of playing off this whole like, this whole trope in Star Trek about all these creatures who are always ascending to a higher plane of being by shedding the corporeal existence and becoming pure spirit or thought or whatever. Oh, no, 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 no. Pure energy. Pure energy. It's like, do you know what matter is made of? (laughs) It's it's energy. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like an alien. He's a human, but he's like figuring out some way to ascend to pure energy. Uh, Which is, 
which raises all kinds of personnel questions with regard to Starfleet. Wait, you're yeah. on a mission and you're planning on ascending in the middle of the mission. Right. And what about your obligation to Starfleet? You're serving out your time. Who's going to take over your job? So anyway, uh, (laughs) no matter, Tendi ruins his ceremony by, you know, tripping over his mandala that he took years to create and uh, sand mandala, sand mandala. Yes. (laughs) But but that's all right. She replicates more and piles it up. And, you know, that that should be fine. Right. (laughs) Right. So uh, meanwhile, Mariner is on holodeck waste removal duty. I like that one. Uh, turbo lift lubing and carbon filter cleaning. She has to clean the carbon off the carbon filters. But I love I love the holodeck where where the uh, officer the uh, tactical officer just rips the incident work sign and immediately sends the holodeck oh, going the, while she's the on top lift. of it. Yeah, yeah. turbo lift <laughs> while she's on top of it. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> well, and someone asks, well, "What is holodeck waste?" And then we have this. He explains it while his voice is obscured, so they imply it's something unmentionable gross oh yeah yeah, and not just normally unmentionable unmentionable but really unmentionable because the captain then follows up with people use it for that yeah it's mostly that right (laughs) so so yeah but mariner finds ways to inject joy and fun into her jobs and in fact she ends up with the, the, the carbon filter cleaning she turns into a competition uh at the end so the the captain decides to use reverse reverse psychology, which is to promote her into uh, you know to a lieutenant and senior staff, I guess, to get yeah, her because, to get her quit. Because the the one thing that she, that she knows Mariner hates most of all is the officers. Right. So she makes her an officer. So now she gets to sit in on all the boring officer meetings. Yes, she's like, becomes middle out the office chairs. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And other boring junior management type stuff. Uh, so she's been promoted to middle well, management, essentially. Uh, Tendi is meanwhile is trying to get the guy whose ascension she ruined uh, by to, to like her again by stalking him with all kinds of religious traditions. Uh, and she she's obsessed to help him ascend. Yes. She's obsessed when someone doesn't like her. And she knows now that this guy doesn't like her. So that's that's her thing. And as she's stalking him around at one point, she's wearing like a Tibetan cap and banging yep. on this drum and chanting in Latin. <laughs> yes. It's like, I mean, it's secularum <laughs> lapsu. And it's like, that's actual Latin. <laughs> that is it's it. it, it I mean, you can, no, 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 it's, it's not. It's, well, I thought it's, it was just words they strung together. No, it would mean, I mean, you can translate it different ways, but it's something like. And indeed, in the ages from the fall, <laughs> and 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 it's actually they they got it out of a book that was published in 1906, the Graduale Sacrosancte Romane Ecclesiae. It's a book on the Roman gradual, <laughs> but it's not an actual chant. It's like a lo- the first three words of of a paragraph in the preface. So she's it's, the actual sentence is talking about how Gregorian chant has developed over time. And she's, she's chanting the first three words of a sentence about the history of Gregorian chant. So basically the writer Googled Gregorian chant Latin. Yeah. And, and, took and the first thing they found. this. 
I'll give him credit for at least doing that, going that far. Yeah. But you know, that makes it all the more fun that it's like not even chanting like a real chant. It's not <laughs> yeah. like, even like a part of the Roman Missal or something. It's, it's just a book about a Ro- part of the Roman Missal. <laughs> yeah. so, and it's right there on Google Books if you Google it. That's awesome. <laughs> so uh, Boimler, meanwhile, who has taken the wrong lesson from Mariner's uh, promotion, because, like, remember, she's she's the one who's least likely to be promoted because she just blows off all Starfleet protocol, and she gets promoted. And so he thinks, okay, so the way to get promoted is to break all the rules. So he decides, I'm going to yeah. start breaking all the rules. Meanwhile, we've got this generation ship that's it, this ancient ship that they're tractoring together with this other ship, tractor beaming. And the other ship, the, the Merced, goes, something goes wrong. They, they're trying to be too competitive with Cerritos and they get too close and some, whatever. It doesn't really matter. Something goes wrong and the terraforming fluid ends up hitting the ships and the ships started getting terraformed and transformed into organic material. Mariner and Captain Freeman, daughter and mother, that we have this extended sequence of them trying to get from the bridge to a transporter, I think, somewhere. Environmental controls? Something like that. Doesn't really Something matter. Something like that. Yeah. But we've seen this trope before Gilgamesh and Enkidu at Uruk. <laughs> First they battle and then be, they become friends. Yes. Well, I can't, you can't say become friends. It's more like mother and daughter come to an understanding. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. There's this whole time where the mother is like, um, nitpicking, critiquing everything she does. Do you think you should be holding that that vine in just such that way? Should you maybe go a little slower? Yeah, like she's like yeah. completely <laughs> nitpicking everything. You you need a stronger rock. Yeah, right, you right. Know, a sharper you be hitting, rock. Hitting that with a stronger rock. So Mariner confronts her mom about treating her like a child, and then saves the ship. And her mom respects, finally respects her. Uh, tend- oh, and it's and it's, it's mutual because um, yep. uh, at one point. Mariner is saying, okay, what we need to do is this. And she spouts some technobabble. And her mom is like, that's exactly what I was going to say. Right. Yeah. I'm impressed. You and you read my mission briefing. It's like, oh, no, I did. Well, a little, well just ironically, so I could make fun of you. <laughs> so, so it really, she is taking some of her mom's advice. Yeah. And so it's, it's a mutual. It's not that just that Mariner proves herself to her mom, mom also has kind of proved herself to Mariner. You know, it's funny because it it feels like a lot of what Mariner is doing is a facade. Like she really is capable. Mm -hmm. She really is doing the things, but she's putting up this facade of the, I want to like everyone to perceive me as the, the, the officer that doesn't care. Uh, well, but things. you kind of see that right from the beginning of the the series where she wants to take over as Boimler's, you know, uh, guide, his mentor, (laughs) mentor, you know, and you kind of see that where she actually does care about Starfleet and all this other stuff. She's just different. Yeah, she's immature enough to want people to think that she's a rebel and she's not. Yep. So Tendi, meanwhile, um, she ends up like the, the that other crewman is really mad at her. And it turns out he intended her to mess up his ascension ceremony because he really didn't think he could ascend. That it was all a, a, a uh, he wanted to have a thing that people knew him for. And so he became the ascension guy. But then he knew he had to put up or <laughs> shut up. It's like someone pretending to have a like a, a terminal illness. And then at some point right. you actually have to, you know, die from it. And so he's like, yeah, so I had to have a summary. And then you had I had to have you ruin it so that I could blame it on you that it didn't happen. But then he ends up getting. And, 
And she realizes that, oh, that means he just really wants people to like him, too. And so he's just as insecure as she is. And so she bonds with him over that. Right. But meanwhile, he gets like pinned under a giant boulder in the process of uh, saving her life. Um, After she saved his. So they've now mm -hmm. saved each other. Yes. But uh, that act then makes him, I don't know, pure enough to ascend. And so he starts ascending which is unexpected for, for real. Yeah. And then he finds out that it's horrible and terrible and painful process. And I don't want to do this anymore. And why is the, the universe is built on the back of a giant koala or something like that? Why yeah, is he smiling? smiling what does it know? <laughs> <laughs> it was, that was actually a pretty funny sequence. I, I, I thought that yeah. was funny. Um, and then to end it all, we have to put all our characters back where they all started, of course. And so Beckett, gets herself more or less more or i less. think there is actual character development right happening. right right. but as far yeah. as um the, the the they have to the remain ranks. lower decks right yeah yep. so she gets herself demoted by making fun of an admiral's accent because he says oh this is great yeah, <laughs> yeah so this admiral shows up and it's not just his accent it's his idiolect yes um yep. his own personal way of speaking he pronounces censors as censors <laughs> and and to go along uh, the captain starts pronouncing them censors too, and Mariner calls her out on it. There's nobody, nobody says censors. Come on, yeah. And <laughs> and and eventually, and she's she's mocking this, and eventually the admiral says, "Are you making fun of me?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you know I mispronounce things. <laughs> this is right after getting pinned on you a medal for yeah. for a good job and everything, right. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And then that's, you know, where we go. Bo Boimler eventually notices Mariner back in their, you know, the, the bunks instead of having her, yeah. uh, her own room. And uh, she's uh, she got demoted. And he gets flustered because I'm always trying to get promoted. And you got there and got demoted and it drives him crazy. So uh, <laughs> and that's where we end things up. So uh, any thoughts, any other thoughts about this episode? Father no, Corey? no, this is this this was a fun one though. I, I I'm I'm start, I'm really this this series is really growing on me. Yeah, I, I was kind of mm -hmm. as I, I posted on, on Twitter yesterday. It's like I was kind of meh about it at the beginning, but I, I it's really growing on. I, I enjoyed this. Yeah, one of the things I like about it is because it's animation, they have essentially an unlimited special effects budget. Yep. Now CGI technology has taken some of the edge off of that. But it's still true. You can do more in an animated series than you can do with CGI. So like having this dramatically different environment where the ships are turning into organic jungles and stuff yep. is happening really fast and different types of landscapes. I mean, there's one moment where Tendi is like, oh, that glorious coral, you know, <laughs> yes. that yep. suddenly sprouted. Yeah. Um, that's really cool. Also, I like after the um, and Boimler's not in this episode much. It's really Mariner centric, yeah. Mariner and Tindy. But uh, Boimler uh, at one point is leaving. Well, initially, as Mariner is leaving after doing the sarcastic Vulcan salute, she's she's actually doing it with both hands and kind of waving them horizontally above and one high, one low and <laughs> yeah. switching them up. 
And so it kind of looks a little bit like Adam West's bat Tusi dance. <laughs> and, and later when Boimler is leaving Mariner in the hallway, he starts doing the same hand signal. And she's like, that is not cool when you do that sarcastic Vulcan salute. And then after he's gone, it's like, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it kind of is. It's kind of like these, like they're doing a gang symbols. Is there, yeah. So, yeah. Well, one, one thing I forgot to, forgot to mention, um, they they really poke at you know how the the reset at the end of every episode you know like Voyager was yeah. bad about this where the ship would get beat to heck and the next episode it looks like it just came right out of dry dock right well when they cleared up all the organic inorganic to organic goo and the ship went back it went back to like there was absolutely not a flaw in it yeah, right there's not like you know not not a mark on the walls not a mark on the hole nothing yes exactly every episode. It, it, at least they showed people cleaning it up, which yeah. they don't the do on yeah. Voyager. Right. We never see repairs. Speaking of Voyager in the year of hell, is 2020, can we reset 2020 like at some point? Like a yeah. like year of hell? Well, can, well, can, we, can we find the the, the, the uh, time ship that, so that we can blow it up and yeah. reset the year? Yeah, I would, I would appreciate that. Thank you. Anyway. All right. So uh, that that's about does it for um, Moist Vessel. The latest episode is called Cupid's Errant Arrow. Uh, I, I want to start by mentioning this is one definitely not one for the kids. Uh, yeah. There's nothing explicit in this one, but there are bleeped out words and like visually blacked out body parts and euphemisms. Well, and there's one visually blacked out body part. Yes. Yes. Uh, the, <laughs> right. Uh, and so they, they take this in a more grown up direction, shall we say. Uh, than mm -hmm. they have before, so it's cl they're clearly placing this as an animated series for the grown-ups more than not. It's not a kid series. So our basic framing story here is we have a moon that is dangerous and is going to fall out. Uh, it needs to be demolished. Yep, it, it needs to be imploded. And there are two planets, one of purple people, one of red people that are endangered by it. And so the the Cerritos has been sent with a different but similar class ship that specializes in difficult engineering missions. Um, and the two ships together are going to uh, deal with the moon. Yes. And so that's what the main officers are dealing with what the bridge officers are dealing with. The captain in particular is trying to deal with negotiations between the red and the blue people. I mean, the red and the purple people. And, um, and, and that then gives us the backdrop for what's happening with our main characters, the lower decks crew. As usual, we have an A story and a B story with the A story focusing on Mariner and, uh, Boimler mm -hmm. and the other focusing on Tendi and Rutherford. Oh, I'm blank. Rutherford. Yep. Uh, and so the A plot with um, with Mariner and Boimler is Boimler has a girlfriend from the other ship for reals and she's <laughs> and she and she's hot and uh, based on traumatic events in her own past, Mariner assumes that the girlfriend must be something evil. Yes. And so she sets out to prove that she's some kind of evil, destructive thing that is going to harm Boimler. Right. Uh, meanwhile, in our B plot, 
Tendi and Rutherford are over on the other ship geeking out as tech geeks about something called a T-88, which isn't on the market yet, but they have them on this other ship. And there's little handheld devices that you can apparently do stuff with, like perform scans. And they are geeking out over over these T-88s, and they've been put in competition with each other and told whoever finishes their tasks first gets to keep one. Yes. So they are in a vicious competition with each other to complete their tasks first. So I like the fact that it's, where it's interesting the when they have this, the people of this planet being in denial about their unstable moon, about the danger, uh, they kind of re- re- reflect, well, we pray to the moon so you can't destroy it. Well, it controls the tides for our summer crop. Oh, people live there. Oh, the government's just making it all up. We, so they're kind yeah. of like <laughs> to control us. The, control the government's us. making it up to control us. Right. So kind of pulling out all the conspiracy theories that we see in real life about various things uh, that people. Yeah, but it's still a moon that's about to <laughs> crash, you know, destroy your planet. No, no, it's not real. Uh, so I, I like how the captain deals with it. Uh, she she um, she kind of ignores the government is making it up to control us one. Yeah. But for all the others, she's got a solution. It's like, okay, we're going to transport three tons. We're going to transport down three tons of dirt from the moon for people to worship. We're going to use gravity generators to generate the tides you need for your crops. And we're going to relocate everyone from this, from the fifth moon to the sixth moon, which will now technically be the fifth moon. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And then the, the final objection comes from this, this one guy who seems to be dressed in much more finery than the others who says, and he's the, the only red guy. He's from the other endangered planet. Right. And he says, um, Oh, it, it'll cause waste products to, to come into our planet. And so therefore it's not, it, it's no good. It's good. I'm going to kind of close the loop and on this one because we should, because that's yeah. not really, this is not really important plot. turns out the only people who live on this other moon is him and his wife. Yeah, but he's, he, he pitches it as you're going to destroy our civilization. You're going to have blood on your hands, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> right. And and then it turns out there it's just him and his wife. And as soon as she learns that, and this is a this is a callback, I'm real sure, to Star Trek Insurrection. Yes. Which was about do we do we do we apply the prime directive to a group of like 200 people? Right. <laughs> and and so they've reduced it to just two. And Mariner, the captain, has specifically said the prime prime directive doesn't even apply here because these people are Federation citizens. Yes. <laughs> um. And and when she learns there's just two people on the inner planet, she's like implode the moon. <laughs> right. She's like, and, done. and the guy like sinks to his knees and raises his arms in rage, and it's like we just redid the floors. <laughs> <laughs> So, so yeah, and that's the, I mean, that's a funny, a funny gag, but it's not the important thing. So, uh, Boimler's girlfriend's name's Barbara. He met her a month ago. She's on the other ship called the Vancouver. It's parliament class. Uh, so, um, and Mariner accuses Boimler of making her up. Um, it's that classic, the kid who had the girlfriend at summer camp. Sure you did. Yeah, this is, I, I love a line early on uh, where he's, he's, He's talking to Mariner and Mariner's like, so when we meet your girlfriend, it's going to like weirdly going to need to occur on the holodeck, right? <laughs> yes. and, and he says, I don't do that anymore. Anymore. <laughs> so apparently he's had made up holodeck girlfriends before. 
So it turns out that Barbara is a lieutenant, and she, like as she said, she's really good looking. She's really into Boimler, surprisingly. Uh, and then they run into one of the Cerritos' crewmates. They're one of their crewmates from the Cerritos on on the Vancouver, named Jet, uh, because he, and he's tall, handsome, uh, and. Barbara and Jet are very friendly and very touchy feely. Like she jumps on them, uh, and it turns out uh, they're exes. They used to be. Yes, yeah, yeah. They used to be boyfriend and girlfriend. And Boimler's suspicious, and Beck. I mean, Boimler's jealous. Beckett is suspicious, uh, and then they have a line. That guy's like a Kirk Sunday with Trip Tucker sprinkles. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was great. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised I didn't get a Riker in there somewhere. Uh, I would have thought Riker sprinkles because Riker had a reputation of being the ladies' man much more than Trip Tucker. I think I just think Trip Tucker makes it even funnier. It's just like that one level, uh-huh. like further removed. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So so now we have a typical sitcom plot. I mean, first we had the the fake out with the imaginary girlfriend plot. Yes. Now we have the because that has happened on sitcoms. Right. Then we have, uh, but they quickly dispatch that by showing us she's real. And now we have the typical sitcom jealousy plot where Boimler is becomes jealous of Jet and is afraid he's going to lose Barb to, to her former boyfriend. And so he's now desperate to retain her as a girlfriend and is making all kinds of comedic mistakes. Right. And I wasn't a big fan of this because it's painful to watch him being. I don't find this particularly comedic. Um, and and it's in done. fact, yeah, yeah. It, 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 and, and simultaneously, we have Mariner convinced that Barb must be a robot or an alien or something. When a Starfleet relationship seems too good to be true, it's usually because it's an alien waiting to eat you, a Romulan spy, a salt succubus, an android, a changeling, or one of those sexy people in rompers that murders you for walking on the grass, which are all TOS, TNG, and DS9 plots we've seen before. (laughs) Yes, yeah. First season a TNG plot with the people in rompers who kill you for walking on the grass. <laughs> That's right. The and and so Mariner starts an, a process of elimination. She's stalking as as Boimler is stalking Barb in out of jealousy. She's stalking Boimler out of paranoia. And this is another sitcom thing that has been done to death. And I wasn't really here for that. Yeah. So the first half of this episode, now the planet moon plot is fine. The B story is kind of there. It's it, 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 especially in the first half of this episode, the first half of this episode, I was really lukewarm about, I thought I'm enjoying this less than I have enjoyed any of the other uh, lower decks episodes. This is really formulaic sitcom stuff I've seen before. And then everything changes. (laughs) And in all of these plots, now we've already mentioned the twist in the moon plot. The civilization is just two people. And and that's the resolution on that. And that was not expected. So it's like, wow, I'm pleasantly surprised now. Well, with the uh, the Tendi uh, Rutherford plot. Um, there's a massive twist in that because they, it turns out they end up finishing their task at the same time. And twist number one, there's more than one twist, but twist number one is they both get reassigned to the other ship. And that's why they'll get to keep their T-88s because they'll be on a ship where they can be used. Yes. 
and 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 the officer who's going to transfer them has made up the orders and is about to transmit them. And they're like, wait, please don't transmit those orders. And it's like, but of course I'm going to. And that leads to a game of chase and keep away where they're trying to keep his pad away from him. So he can't transmit the orders. And the reason he wants that part of this is he wants to swap places with them. Yeah, this is, but they don't learn that at first yeah. until they get, they, they get his pad away from him. They're in an elevator. He's trying to get in. Uh, Rutherford is trying to keep him out while Tindy is trying to guess his password. And it turns out his password is Riker. <laughs> yes. And, and then she sees on the pad, this is the second twist. He wants to take their place on the Cerritos and for a really clever reason, because they've built up this other ship as like the heroic vessel, the top of the line vessel that does these dangerous heroic missions like imploding moons. And it's got all the coolest gadgets that Tendi and Rutherford have been geeking out over. And it turns out the officer is sick of being heroic. He <laughs> wants to go back to a more normal, low stress type job. And so he wants to put them on the other ship and take their places on, on, uh, on the Cerritos. And so this is a great twist. Yes. I love this. That is and, twist. and, and and so that suddenly the B plot becomes much more interesting. And the same thing happens in the A plot. We've got a pair of unexpected twists at the end in that one as well. So Beckett talks about like Mariner. She talks about her. The reason she's so paranoid, as you mentioned, she had a friend on a previous ship who was killed by a shape changer that she was in a relationship with. And I like the fact they show this previous ship is at DS9. Uh, but I don't know mm -hmm. if you noticed that. And so it was, it was Dr. DS9 when this happened. They were at the at a bar and she had this huge hair, like, like it's like back in the 80s sort of thing. It was kind of funny. Yeah. Like it wasn't that it couldn't have been Mariner that long did. ago. Yeah. Uh, and it, so that's why she's so paranoid. And then she, at one point she has one of those string wall charts for her conspiracy theory. And there's all kinds mm -hmm. of Easter eggs, by the way. She has pictures of this of the salt vampire and all that stuff like that. Um, she's a complete freak out. She thinks Barb is a parasite. Um, and uh, Boimler, you mentioned, is acts all weird trying to oppress her. Um, let's see. Uh, Boimler and uh, Barb end up getting assigned to one of these uh, shuttle-type ships helping implode the yeah. moon. And by this point, Boimler has, uh, Barb has called him on his weird behavior, and he's admitted he just did it to impress her. And it's like, no, I don't want this other version of you. I fell in love with you. Let's start our day over. So they, they so we've got that resolved finally, <laughs> yeah. and and they go off to this other this other ship which, platform, yeah, right. to help with the annihilation of the moon. Boimler thinks it's going to be a, an opportunity for a like sort of romantic interlude uh, in the midst of yeah. this incredibly stressful mission. And, and Mariner, and this is this is over. where we see, yeah, this is where we see the visually blacked out body part. Yes, um, or don't see it rather. Yes. Um, Mariner gets knocked out at this point and Barb and Mariner fight over Boimler, both accusing each other of being an alien because they were acting so weird. Right. So this is the second great twist, the first of the two great twists in the A plot that that because of how sneaky Mariner has been acting. Barb is just as paranoid about Mariner as Mariner is about Barb. They both genuinely want to protect Boimler from the other. 
And right. so and so we have this battle with the two of them, you know, flinging stuff at each other and fighting because they both really genuinely care about Boimler and don't want him to be hurt and are convinced the other is some kind of threat to him. But we've seen this story before, Gilgamesh and Enkidu at Uruk, and so they fight and they become friends. And they start, they realize they both care about Boimler, who is unconscious, and they start bonding over over their friendship with Boimler. It transfers into being a friendship between them, and since they have a point in common, how much they care about Boimler. And they start swapping stories uh, that are amusing about things Boimler has told them. That's embarrassing for Boimler. (laughs) That's embarrassing for Boimler. Yes. And then we get the second twist in the A plot. Right. Because because, um, Barb says, look, if it'll really make you feel better, just go ahead and scan me. And she does. It's like, okay, you're you're a human woman. But then the scanner reveals something that, she had previously gotten evidence for some kind of alien parasite and it says parasite detected and they go to Boimler and scan him and there's where the parasite is it's on the back of his head (laughs) right and this is why Mariner had previously gotten evidence of a parasite being around somehow it was Boimler not Barb who had the parasite it turns out so it turns out that the the weird relationship thing isn't Boimler's girlfriend is the is unexpected. It's Boimler who's got the yeah. weird alien thing uh, for poor Barb. It turns out the the parasite makes whoever it latches to chemically irresistible to the opposite sex. And so the only reason Barb was interested in Boimler, this this nerdy weird guy, is because of the chemical attraction of this parasite. So once removed. She's no longer interested in him, the poor Boimler. No, but she is she is unusually interested in studying the parasite. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I I need to study it. So uh we end the episode with poor Boimler uh alone again without his uh without Barb as his girlfriend. Um and and everybody has returned to their to their places on the Cerritos. Um, so I, did I miss any, any bit of that? I think we've we pretty much covered that. Yeah, we've covered it. I, I, this episode, like I said, I was really as on, on first watch, I was disappointed with the first half of it because I didn't like the framing story particularly. I mean, it was okay. I, I thought both the A and the B stories with our main characters seemed really sitcom formulaic. And then in the second half, it all transforms and we start getting these major unexpected twists in all three of the plots. And I loved that. And so I really look forward to watching this again at some point, knowing where it's going and seeing how that affects my perception of the episode, because it it may have an effect of like, okay, now that I know what they're doing, I'm going to enjoy this a lot more. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I usually don't like those formulaic, Embar- I'm embarrassing myself sort of plots uh, but the, the twists really made this better so yeah that, that was good alright I think that should do it for this time and joining me today are Father Cory Stika hi Father Cory how's it going very well thank you and Jimmy Aiken hi Jimmy 
So I've been thinking about the most pressing issue with Lower Decks, mm-hmm. which is how does it fit into the canon? Yeah. You know, is it <laughs> is it canonical or not? And I what I would do if I were the running the Star Trek ships is um, I would play with that. I would mm-hmm. I would have reference. Now, we obviously have references in Lower Decks that establish the rest of Trek as canonical from a Lower Decks perspective, but I would drop hints in other st- in other series that Lower Decks is canonical without coming, without necessarily being 100% explicit about it. Um, for example, now with Discovery, it doesn't really work because Discovery is set before Lower Decks. Or after. Well, or after now, yeah. <laughs> after now, true, but really way after. But what I would do is um, in the next season of Picard, I would have either uh, Picard or Riker, who is head of who is in charge of the Titan. Mm-hmm. And we have a reference to the Titan in this episode mm-hmm. of Lower Decks. Yeah, I would have uh, I would have like Riker drop a reference to like, oh, those clowns on the Cerritos. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> and, and and what I what I also would consider doing is taking one of the voice actors and having them portray and because Picard is, set, you know, 20 years in the future, have them yeah. portray an older version of the same character that's maybe played comedically, but not as broadly. Like, like take Mariner in particular. Yeah. I'd love to see Mariner. Captain Mariner. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and and it could even be funny. You could play, it's like she's got this really boring job now and or something in Starfleet and, yeah. and just can't deal. How about a future, so- <laughs> a future short tracks would, ha- would be a great way to yeah. do that. Where yep, they yeah. had her live action, the the actress live action Mariner in the future interacting with Riker or whatever. That would be a good yeah, one. Yeah, and her her, her boring drudge job would be the comedy, given <laughs> her tendencies. <laughs> that would be good. That would be good. So we're talking this week, as Jimmy uh, referred to, with the latest episode called Terminal Provocations. Uh, and mm-hmm. so uh, we start the episode with <laughs> Boimler and the others in the lower deck bunks area. Do, doing the different sounds, warp engine sounds for different ships. So what they sound like. <laughs> this is this is great as a car fan because you know you got those people that they're such car geeks that they're like, oh yeah, the V eight, you know, the the Hemi V eight from nineteen sixty eight sounds like this, and the V six sounds like that. You know, yeah, yeah motorcycle exactly what they're fans doing. do that. Yeah, so yeah. they're doing these mouth noises, like yeah, the warp engines on this ship go. <laughs> And they all start doing different ships and it ends up sounding like a chant of some kind, <laughs> yeah. like they're doing some sinister ritual. And the first officer comes by and hears them and, and is like slaps his, his comm badge. And it's like, security, I have a dangerous situation here. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah, he, he points the phaser, get on the ground. And then he tackles Boimler. <laughs> yep. So after the teaser, because that's just the teaser, it doesn't really have anything to do with anything else. And it's uh, just filler. The uh, the Cerritos is uh, is in a standoff in a floating junkyard in space with some scavengers, um, and it's a debris yeah. field of Starfleet material, including I love one of the robot grain ships from More Tribbles, More Troubles, yes. which is an episode hey. you'll hear us talk yeah, about the, soon. The cargo ship was the same type of cargo ship, <laughs> yes. and they did say it was a hundred years before, so that would be about the time of TOS. That's right. So uh, so while and meanwhile on the bridge they're in this tent standoff in the mess hall. They're having a 
replicator cantaloupe puree chug off. Oh, led that just by, doesn't even sound good. <laughs> uh, Ensign Fletcher, uh, who is uh, apparently a friend of uh, Mariners from the, uh, the Academy. Um, and Boy he ends up, uh, yes, I'm sorry. Boy Miller's from the Academy. He ends up, uh, like Mariner gets into a tiff with Dr. Tiana over some nachos that gets in her fur because she's a cat person. Uh, he ends up making peace. And uh, Fletcher is like this great guy. He's the party guy. He's the He's that guy that everybody turns to. He helped Boimler. He prevented Nausicans from eating Boimler's heart, <laughs> which is a reference to when Picard <laughs> he, got stabbed by a Nausicans. He, he's a natural diplomat and negotiator, yep. so he was able to compromise with the Nausicans, so they just, like, spit on Boimler instead of eating his heart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, then our, our second plot is Rutherford and Tendi. They discuss having to go out and get cargo that, that they're going to have to go once the, the standoff is over, they're going to get cargo. And Tendi confesses she never finished spacewalking at the Academy, and she's afraid of getting found out, and she's afraid of spacewalking. So Rutherford says, I've got this training program on the holodeck that will help you. So that's going to be the, the B-plot of this episode, or the C-plot, really. Well, you sort of have three. You have the ostensible plot, and then right. you have the A-plot, with, with usually with Boimler and Mariner, and the B-plot, usually with Tendi and Rutherford. That's right. Uh, so th we, we cut to Fletcher, Mariner, and Boimler doing some meaningless work in the, in the corridor. Um, and Mariner and Boimler, they want to cut out early from work. I mean, this is really a workplace comedy, really. You know, I mean, this doesn't operate yeah. at all like a military ship, uh, but they want to cut out early from their shift to go to the choo-choo dance. <laughs> it's like this big deal. <laughs> It's kind of like, the, you know, the bunny hop where yes. you have yeah. a line of people kind of like a conga line yeah. and only they're making train sounds. And apparently it's really like, popular in the 24th like the, the biggest thing ever in the galaxy. Yes. Uh, but Fletcher says, you go ahead. I'll cover for you here. And, uh, you know, your work. Don't worry about it. He's because he, he's the good guy, Fletcher. Rutherford and Tendi go to too, go too good to be true. Yes. So yeah. the question is, is he just going? I was I, I so he's our central plot mover in the a plot is yes. is fletcher and i was he's he's established as so good that there's got that that has to be relevant to the plot somehow yes. and so the obvious thing is he's going to secretly turn out to be a villain <laughs> right. and they and they didn't go that way the no. most interesting way for them to go would be for him to just be good all the way through. Yeah. Um, and they didn't do that either, but they did find a creative solution. They did. So uh, meanwhile, Rutherford and Tendi are at the holodeck and they, <laughs> Rutherford is, has a version of basically windows Clippy or Microsoft Clippy. office Clippy uh, called Badgie that works just about as well as Clippy did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, can I teach you a lesson? But more murderous. <laughs> yeah. the, uh, the voice of Clippy is Jack McBrayer, the actor Jack McBrayer, who is best known as the, the innocent Hayseed Kenneth on 30 Rock. He was, you oh, know, he's got that, that, that friendly Southern, you know, friendly guy from, you know, it, it, so it makes what happens with Badgie even more sinister as the episode goes on. Well, and of course, Badgie comes in, can I teach you a lesson? Yeah, yeah. And it sounds very positive. Yeah. Like, I want to teach you how to do something. So I'm going to teach you a lesson. No, it's another concept. Of yeah, teach yeah. You a lesson. I'm going to yeah. teach you a lesson. Uh, yeah. So after the, the, the choo-choo dance, Boimler and Mariner come back and find Fletcher has been stunned. He's on the ground. Someone stole one of the, they, they were working on these computer core thingies and uh, they suspect yep. someone on Delta shift. 
but they couldn't have done it, and they have an alibi. I, I love, I love how they all immediately, when they think who could have done this, it's like they all three of them come to the same conclusion at the same moment: Delta shift. <laughs> Apparently, it's a rivalry and, between the shifts. Uh, and but Delta Fle- shift is like a mirror image of the other. We don't. I don't think they've ever revealed is this like alpha or beta shift or yeah, whatever. No. Well, they they reveal in this that our guys are the beta shift. Yes. Beta shift. They're not okay. even alpha and, shift. But it, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and so the deltas are like. When we're asleep, they're secretly doing our jobs. It's just creepy. <laughs> Which is like, of course, they but are. they're like mirror images. But yeah. They're like mirror images. So they look very similar. Yes, that's right. Uh, but when when they go to confront them, Fletcher is like way over the top aggressive about confronting them. Like, well, this is weird. Uh, meanwhile, mm-hmm. the aliens, the, the scavengers in the the the, the uh, debris field start launching trash at the Cerritos. Basically, their answer is to throw trash at them uh, to make them go away. Uh, but because Big heavy industrial trash. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but because the shields are malfunctioning because of what happened the with Fletcher. Core. The, yeah, the holodeck goes wonky and the safety protocols go down and Rutherford and Tendy can't turn it off. And Badgie goes nuts and starts attacking them. And at this point, you know, so Badgie is shaped like a combat a Star Trek symbol, like a combat, yeah. except he's got cute Mickey Mouse type arms and legs. Yeah. And um, and and so he's triangular and yellow. And at this point, if you've ever seen Gravity Falls, Badgie becomes eerily, frighteningly reminiscent of Bill Cipher. Okay. Bill Cipher is okay. Well, Bill Cipher is the big bad, and he's a he's a he's a yellow triangle with an eye that has murderous and in some cases arms and legs and murderous intentions. Okay, Mm. so (laughs) so the holodeck program was space clocking, but in order to escape from Badgie, they and to survive because the safety protocols were off, which is really a bad idea that it can even turn them off. But never mind. That's that's a that's a well, that, that's it's it, what, what was it? It's a non-essential energy usage or something like that. <laughs> right, safety protocols. <laughs> the it's, it's disabling non-essential energy usage, disabling safety protocols. Right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but not the whole holodeck program. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they end up switching to a Bajoran marketplace on the holodeck program where Badgie starts dismembering people. Uh, on there. So very, very much not a kid show. Uh and threatening, he starts talking to Tendy and Rutherford about all the things he's going to do to them. It's like, I'm going to wear your skin, father, and yeah, yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> and it, he just keeps going with the, and that's part of the part of the humor is the outrageous links to it. He just keeps saying this horrifically murderous stuff to them. Right, and it, it does, it, it calls Rutherford father because he programmed it. So it's just like, yeah, this yep. weird father trying to supplant the, I mean, the son trying to supplant the father, that sort of thing. Um, meanwhile, it turns out Fletcher was lying about being uh, knocked out by somebody. He had damaged the core by stupidly trying to connect it to his brain. <laughs> and yeah. now it's so sentient. So he so he could be smarter and yeah. do his job faster. He's, so. he's trying to be uh, original Barkley with, you know, the big brain in the holodeck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, so I thought the computer is smart. Maybe the computer can make me smarter. So I hooked it up to my brain. It, it turns <laughs> out that the computer dumber. <laughs> yeah. Fletcher is not, did not graduate at the top of his class. Apparently like, so he's, he's like Joe average, not a great Starfleet guy. He's probably in fact, barely competent enough to stay on a ship and in fact we'll find out <laughs> not even that he's not at, at, at least after he gets his brain messed with yeah 
That's true. That's true. I mean, hooking your brain up to the thing is <laughs> the first sign of a bad idea. Uh, but in any case, the now sentient computer core is growing. It's adding things to itself. And Boimler and Mariner have to get it off the ship. And there's all kinds of running around through the corridors and fighting with it stuff. But uh, they yeah. have to they get it out through an airlock where it then goes after the scavenger ship, which the, the captain has trying, been trying to avoid attacking the scavenger ship just in starting war. Uh so, but the while while Shax is constantly like, Captain, can I please target their warp core? <laughs> yes, I've been yes. a good boy. I've been good this month. Yeah, yeah, please, <laughs> please. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so the, so this thing attacks the scavenger ship. Um, then on the holodeck, Rutherford ends, ends up having a father son battle with Badgie in the snow and ends up having to kill it. You know, and it's like, Father, I love you. I love you too, Badgie. And then snaps its quote unquote neck. <laughs> Which doesn't yeah. have a neck, but twist Ex- it. Except we don't get the I love you so much from Badgie. In fact, if I remember correctly, his last line is, I'm going to cut off your feet. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's right. Still <laughs> homicidal, but cares. Uh, and then uh, after the everything happens, after the battle, uh, Mariner, instead of blaming Fletcher, credits him with saving the day. Like he's he's so, so afraid he's going to get fired, quote unquote. Uh, from his job, you're in Starfleet. Never mind. So he's afraid of getting fired, <laughs> and she. But Mariner says, "No, no, he's the one who saved us from this thing, and so he saved the day. So he gets a promotion to lieutenant, and gets transferred to the Titan. And Boimler's like, "Why would you let him get a promotion? This is everything we wanted." And then we find out six days later, they get a a message from him that he's been fired yeah. from the Titan. <laughs> you, you can tell that uh, Captain Riker is not gonna put up with this <laughs> yeah exactly. and of course this is this is a year after Riker takes over the Titan too so that's right he's still a fairly new captain that's and true thus we come full circle with a rationale for having Riker refer to those clowns on the Cerritos I can't believe they transferred yeah. Fletcher to us <laughs> that, that'd be funny if there's like you know he happens to see a picture of the Cerritos or something like oh that shit <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly <laughs> that would be great that would be a, a great thing to, to see yeah anyway uh so that's uh, pretty much what happened. I mean, there's a lot of antics and things that go on. And any specific stuff that either of you want to bring out that I didn't uh, mention? Uh, the Bobby, apparently, isolinear chips have a shelf life. You know, you can only use them for so long. You know, it's kind of like you know the big, uh, big data stores like Google have or whatever, where they just have they just regularly replace their hard drives. Sure. Well, apparently, you got to do that with isolinear chips. You just yes. got to replace them. You know, whether they're broken or not, you just got to replace them. I so. do that with my hard drives. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a couple of things that I thought were interesting. One of them early on when they're having the cantaloupe chug off in the mess hall yep. is after Dr. Cat Lady gets her face dunked in the nacho cheese, She she's ranting on uh, Mariner and telling her, if you want to go goof off, you ought to just be reassigned to Starbase 80. And everybody yeah. gasps. It's Ooh, like even worse so, than the Cerritos. <laughs> yeah, so apparently... Things are really loosey-goosey on Starbase 80 and not in a good way. Uh, but I love how it's got this reputation. Also, during the during the fight with Badgie, by that point, they've changed the hologram program to be, even though they can't end it, they can, Rutherford can change the setting. And um, he's changed it to like an, to like the ice planet Hoth or something. Yeah. And so they're fighting in the snow. And as as Badgie is wailing on Rutherford, he like stabs him with an ice crystal and there's blood. And just as a little touch that goes by for half a second, the blood splatter, a couple of spots of blood splatter on the camera. 
Oh, yes. That's and right. since this is yeah. all animated, they had to deliberately do that. And then, they're inst- <laughs> and then they're instantly gone. Right, right. The little fourth wall breaking there. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I didn't notice that. It's sort of sort of like the cinema verite camera work you have on Battlestar Galactica, where, you know, yeah. you're watching a space battle and something blows up and the camera goes wild as a piece of debris hits it. Right, right. Yep. So uh, overall, I, another good episode. Not the best so far, but it was not a bad one. There's some, some good funny yeah. bits of, in this one. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, been, overall, they've been fun so far. Lower Deck's been a lot of fun so yeah, far. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like Tiana, Dr. Tana's line. Do you know how hard it is to get cheese out of fur in a sonic shower? That was in a sonic <laughs> shower is what sells it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So uh, we should probably wrap it up there then. Uh, that, uh, good episode. And uh, I did hear that we're in the coming up, we're going to see Q show up in Lower Decks. Yes. He was mentioned oh. last episode, but he'll be coming up in, in person. In- John Delancey will be voicing him, yes. Yep, so that should be interesting. The latest episode is called Much Ado About Boimler. Although first I want to uh, share a little bit of feedback we got from one of our patrons. Kelly wrote on Patreon, I love this episode. Uh, This was the previous episode we did, which was called Terminal Provocations. She says, I I Mm -hmm. love this episode. Badgie was hilarious. It wouldn't be Star Trek unless there's at least one Holodeck Goes Nuts episode. Fun fact. Oh, yes. The guy who played General Martok in DS9 voiced the alien who is tr- uh, tractoring debris at them, uh, which is. Oh, uh, I had not realized that, but in hindsight, I could see that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. what is his name? I love That's great. J.G. Hertzler. Uh, Hertzler? Hertzler. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he is great. <laughs> I love him. So uh, that was good. <laughs> Thank you, Kelly. That's a good comment. All right, let's uh, talk about uh, Much Ado About Boimler, a, uh, which is, a, of course, a Shakespearean refer- reference in grand Star Trek tradition. We do Shakespearean references. Uh, <laughs> the, the original title being Much Ado About Nothing is the name of one of Shakespeare's plays. Of course. Which is rather fitting for when you're talking about Boimler. But anyways. <laughs> yeah, especially in this one. Uh, so I, I, in the teaser, the, the teaser often has so far has been unrelated to the rest of the episode. But in the teaser in this one, we get a really nice B-plot that runs throughout this, which is uh, Tendi, the Orion medical officer. Uh, she's created a dog from inert carbon which, from which scratch. Which she thinks is totally normal. A totally <laughs> yeah. normal dog. Yes. Uh, it's a side project for, in, in medical. Apparently, they're encouraged to have side projects. She hand-edited all six billion sequences by, by hand, she says. Yeah. But of course... It's not a normal dog. And, 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 and as we as we find out later, she names it the dog. The dog. Come, yeah. come here, the dog. The dog. Which, <laughs> which, so at some point, if I ever get a dog, I'm going to name it the dog yeah. in honor of this episode. Stand at the door and yell, the dog, come here, the dog. <laughs> so part of the humor with the dog is that Tendi, being an Orion, doesn't know what a dog really is like because they don't have them on her planet. Yes. And it looks like a golden retriever most of the time. Yes. But the fun part about the dog is all the bizarre things that it just <laughs> suddenly does and there's no predictability to it yeah because it keeps changing it's not like it's bizarre in just one way even before we get out of the teaser it's like relocated its body parts and started crawling on the ceiling like a spider (laughs) and only it's a dog and it's somehow spider-like 
And then later, one of my favorite transformation is the second one it does. Yeah. Where um, it's it's coming through the hall and all of a sudden it turns into a cube <laughs> and starts rolling as its motive. As yep. It's a rolling cube now. And <laughs> then and then later it uh, its head melts and two bats fly out of its neck <laughs> and all kinds of different just totally bizarre things. It randomly changes color and starts glowing when it barks at one point. <laughs> <laughs> um and we'll save what it does at the end for the end yeah. but it I love the bizarre unpredictable transformations that the dog goes uh, through. And the end of the end of the teaser is so great because the dog's transforming and you know, you can tell this is you know just commonplace on a Starfleet ship that just the weird stuff happens where Mariner just rolls over in her bunks let wake me up if it does something I have to worry about changes <laughs> into something I have to worry about <laughs> right, goes right. to sleep yeah it's it's get a real like the thing vibe you know Carpenter's the, yes, the thing yeah very much so <laughs> so you get creeped up by that so our our uh, our a plot so as again it's lower deck so what the main well what the cap- our surface our our surface plot really our a plot is always our main characters who are the lower decks people right but there's whatever the surface plot is whatever is keeping the the senior officers busy right and that's what i was gonna say like the senior officers always have some other mission that 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 is occupying them but that's not really our our main plot so the the captain the first officer and the security chief are off on a secret mission uh having to do with uh ninja ing plants onto the civilian planet or something uh and all the chain of command from tng the episode chain of command where picard crusher and Worf go on this secret mission yeah yeah they're parodying chain of command so this is a super secret dangerous mission we're going to bring in we may not return so we're bringing in a temporary captain in the interim and yes this time we've got to secretly plant these seeds <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, and then, by the way these are seeds of plants that are actually grown but yeah uh, and Mariner even says you know we get some kind of jellico type Referring to Captain Jellico yeah. from Chain of Command. She doesn't want, you yeah, know, she complains. Hard, yeah, I don't want some Jellico type. <laughs> 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 yeah, that is good. Uh, meanwhile, Boimler, he wants to impress the new temporary captain. So uh, he, he's looking for ways to to show himself as a as a young officer who's showing initiative. So he decides to help Rutherford with some transporter modifications because nothing ever goes bad there. And uh, he ends up being beamed out of phase. So the, the classic Star Trek, someone is out of phase. He's uh, and he's kind of stuck in the last moment, the last part of the transporter materialization process. So he's stuck making the noise, the, the, the transporter yeah, noise, the high pitched whine. <laughs> yes, and he's kind of, kind of half little translucent. You can see through him, but not completely. He's right. glowing. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, meanwhile, it turns he, out- he is, he is physical at this point enough to, um, you know, touch and interact with objects. It, but he's still making the high pitched whine and is glowing, <laughs> and it's semi transparent. Uh, so the the uh, the temporary captain turns out to be her name is Captain Ramsey, and she's an old um, Starfleet Academy classmate of Mariner. And it's interesting because that that kind of places Mariner's age as being a little older. Because if Ramsey is a oh, captain, yeah. so Mariner yeah. is is supposed to be about captain point. And she's still an ensign, so uh, that that yeah. kind of I, highlights that a little. I know we kind of, I know we kind of figured that because we know that she's been 
she's gone up in rank and been busted back a number of times. So yeah. it's not like she's a perpetual ensign. She's she's going up in rank like we just saw in a previous episode where a couple episodes old where she was actually promoted to lieutenant. Yep. Of course, to try to drum her out, but still, <laughs> yes. and then gets busted back again. I like that they can they keep doing the promote up and out sort of thing. Like let's from like advance someone to get rid of them. That's that's a classic. <laughs> we don't want this person anymore, so let's let's give him a promotion. Um, but Ramsey wants Mariner to be her acting first officer in in this all of this, and uh, uh, but she realizes, you know, Mariner realizes she's been a screw up for so long that she's she looks bad to her friend. Like she's been sort of an intentional screw up because she doesn't want to get promoted. Yeah. But her friend is like Caesar. Like you're not supposed. To, like why are you such a screw up now? You never were a screw up before. Yeah. So Amina, which yes. is her first name, yes, is is testing out Mariner to see can I you know get her career moving again mm-hmm. because she's captain right. material, and maybe I can make her my first officer permanently, and then that'll help advance her career. So even though this isn't revealed until late in the episode, Mariner is intentionally being a klutz yes, to avoid right. getting promoted. And it's only when an emergency, a genuinely really dangerous situation happens that she drops the act and becomes the competent officer she actually is. Right. But and And I like that reveal. Previous to that, and this is something I like about Lower Decks writing in general, is they tend to subvert expectations with the tropes they're covering. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. originally, it's like Mariner is just being a total klutz, and it's embarrassing uh, for Mariner, and it's embarrassing for Amina, and it's embarrassing for Amina's other officers that she has with her. And so we're meant to find this, you know humorous and the payoff for this kind of thing typically would not be hey you're deliberately taking a dive yeah right and and so it has a just like a couple episodes ago where they really subverted a bunch of tropes here they're subverting this one where someone who is unexpectedly klutzy you know there's actually an intelligible reason for why that's the case yeah, this isn't this isn't a Barkley character where he's completely klutzy and completely clueless until he gets into his field, and all of a sudden, then he's super genius. Yeah, but he's still otherwise he's awkward personally and all that other stuff. This no, this is someone where she's purposely trying to do it to keep herself in the lower decks. I like that they kind of bring out this idea of why why must we always strive to be promoted? Why can't I just be a super great ensign? Which is kind of one of the things <laughs> that the criticisms like of Riker like. How long were you a first officer? Why wouldn't why didn't you ever go take in fact it's an there's an episode of TNG where he's mm-hmm. about to become a captain and he decides, no, I just want to stay first officer. And that which kind of subverts our expectations of military officers where they always want to get promoted. So I, I right. like that they bring this up that she just wants to stay a super great ensign and not she's not ambitious. Or at least for now. Yeah. Yeah. And the military, you know, encourages that mindset of promotion because I know mm-hmm. uh Speaking of the U.S. military, there yeah. are certain points where if you don't reach a certain rank by a certain point in your career, you will not be able to retire from the military. Yeah. You know, like for off, like officers in the Air Force, if I remember right, it's uh, if you if you do not reach the rank of major, you will not be able to stay in the Air Force long enough to retire. Right. They will drum you out. It's, yeah. It's you know. up or up. 
Yeah. And and part of the reason for that is they want qualified, competent upper officers. So if they spot somebody who has the potential to do well at a given rank level, they want the, that person to move up and handle the responsibility that they're capable of handling. They don't want them just right. saying, yeah, I want to kick back here. Right. I don't want to yeah. I don't want to serve my country to the best of my ability. Right. 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 But that, that being said, there's also the principle of, uh, of promoting someone to the point of incompetency. <laughs> yeah. Promoting them the, until, until they become incompetent, basically. The, yeah. the Peter principle. Yeah. Peter principle. I can remember the phrase. Yeah. So uh, on the other hand, we have Boimler, his situation where he ends up in sick bay. Rutherford figures out a way to turn off the noise, which is actually I'm kind of grateful for because that would be annoying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, Dr. Tiana, she, sa- she says, I don't know what's going on. So I have to alert Division 14. So it's a this is a another secret division of Starfleet, like the temporal investigations and, and whatnot. This is section the one 31 section 31. Yep. Division 14 is in charge of mysterious illnesses and unsolvable scientific mysteries. So uh, and he's like, oh, help. That that shouldn't be too bad. And then suddenly the Division 14 ship appears. Well, she, she also tells him he's going to be taken to a resort spa planet. Oh, yes. With, and be pampered as they solve his problem. <laughs> right. Well, and they, they, it's, 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 it's like, you know, they call it the farm and it's like. Yeah, I, I remember as a kid hearing about, you know, the farm, say a pet going to the farm. Yeah, Ro- Rover mm. went, went went to the farm <laughs> Up, <Yeah>. upstate <laughs> where he'll run around and chase squirrels. Uh, yep. So but the Division 14 ship rendezvous with the Cerritos by coming out of a dark cloud. And it's this like sinister looking, dark, weird looking ship. And you have um, this sinister sounding Edosian, which is the same race as Yay. Arex from TAS. Yeah. Yeah. He, he shows up uh, and takes Boimler and Tendi along with the dog aboard mm-hmm. to take them to the farm. Uh, because the dog is also an unexplained scientific bizarre yep, mystery right. medical thing. And Tendi refuses to leave the dog uh, uh and, and wants to take him to the uh to the farm. So on board the this I don't think we ever got a name for the for the section the division 14 ship but um on board the Osler. It's the Osler. Osler. Oh okay. O S L E R named for Sir, Sir William Osler who was a Canadian physician. And was with the one of the original founders of Johns Hopkins University. Oh, excellent! Very good find there. Or hospital and university. Yeah. Um, so on board, that's when they they end up meeting the uh, the the ship of misfit Starfleet officers <laughs> and uh, all kinds of freakish accidents and ailments. Who they claim Starfleet is hiding its mistakes. This really reminded me of an audio play that we covered on Secrets of Doctor Who called Trial of the Valyard, mm-hmm. yeah. where the Valyard reveals that there are all these Time Lord regenerations gone bad that the yeah. Time Lords mm. are keeping suppressed, and they like and they are like slightly out of phase with each other, so young and old at the same time, or bizarre things like yep. that. And these these scientific misfits here really reminded me of that. You have like the one guy who's half of his body like the left half is aging rapidly and the right half is aging in reverse. Right. Yeah. So he's both geriatric and boyish. Um, and even changes his voice as he turns. Yeah. Which side yeah. Is basic. Yeah. And you've got uh, a man who's had a woman materialized at an angle <laughs> so that their torsos intersect. Yep. 
and yeah. you've got a guy that they never really give any screen time to, but like his little his head is partially disassembled and little bits of it are floating behind in some kind <laughs> yeah. of apparent transporter accident. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, they're all these mutants and and they all think, you know, that this is something bad is ever there is no farm where the ship is the farm, you know, the, that because we've been traveling for months. Yes. So they yep. plan a mutiny uh, to take over the ship. But of course, Boimler rats them out because that's, you know, the regulation thing to do. <laughs> and then they, <laughs> they, they turn on Boimler because, of course, the uh, the Adosian captain of this ship uh, re- reveals that Boimler is the only one who's the he's the he's the good one. It's like the yeah, teacher was, <laughs> who says, yeah. you know, this is the kid who told me that you all were going to cheat on the test. So uh, he's the only good one. Now I'm going out of the room and uh, leaving you all with him alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You all need to imitate him and take a lesson from his example. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it does. You need to be like Brad, like Brad Boimler right here. You need to be like him. <laughs> yeah, it really points him out. Well, it turns out so the the uh they're about to throw Boimler out of the airlock and uh, as the door outer door opens, he falls to the ground because the the ostler has landed. Uh, it turns out that the farm is in fact real and they get there like at this exact moment and the Erdosian captain apologized for the creepy looking ship and his failure to communicate properly with them and says, you know, I no, in, in hindsight, actually, I think that, that I, I can see where you would have gotten the wrong idea about us. And, uh, and oh, yes, I'm I'm sorry. I do recognize I have a creepy laugh like he has that sinister laugh. <laughs> and uh, turns out the farm is a beautiful paradise with, uh, with yep. where they're they're treated uh, perfectly well. And, uh, but at at this point, the final bit of Boimler's materialization just happens, and <laughs> yes. so he's no longer a freak and doesn't get to stay there. Yes, and uh, and then we have the 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 final transformation of uh, the dog with Tendi, who starts flying off literally into the sunset and talking. It turns out yes. that the dog talks in in, in English, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that so that we have that final transformation, which is good. Um, and, 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 and Tendi thinks that's how all dogs are. Yeah, isn't this how dogs don't dogs talk do. and fly and change form? Dogs <laughs> spit fire and shoot lightning, don't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she says. Uh, she she, re, uh, she reassures Tendi, the dog does, that she actually likes it on the farm, noting that there's a lot more space to run than on the Sritos and more things to urinate on. So there's that. Yeah. <laughs> this is like a dog would think. Uh, meanwhile, back. With the Cerritos, with uh, Mariner and uh, Captain Ramsey, they've rendezvoused with this other ship called the Rubidoux, and uh, it's the ship was out of power. They go on board. They find the crew. Turns out oh, that— Oh, and by the way, this is another California-class ship, and it's named after a place that is, again, in California. It's up mm-hmm. in San Bernardino County, if I recall. Oh, excellent, excellent, Rubidoux. That, I like that name anyway, but that, it's a fun name. Yeah. Uh, it's fun to say. So the, it's an alien that's destroying the ship and they need to get off quickly. And it turns out that Rutherford's uh, transporter technology is oh. he was designing to be much faster. So they they need the faster transporter to get the whole crew off. So she tells them to boim us off because Boimler coined the phrase to <laughs> boim me up. Uh, and so they, they end up all showing up on the street house just like Boimler was out of phase and making that horrible noise. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you missed it you missed it though dom it wasn't just an alien in the ship it was some kind of alien entity uh, yes, yes, in the yes. ship and as we saw the alien beaming or the alien breaking through elements of the ship that it was somehow bonded with 
Um, it has tentacles and glows. It's basically yep. the Farpoint uh, uh, yep. alien creature. Jellyfish. <laughs> yes, yes. Yep. And that's where we end things up. So uh, we, I don't know that we ever find out what happened with the uh, the Cerritos' captain, but the, presumably they're back on the ship on the next episode. So anything, anything left to say about this? Any particularly good points that I missed uh, in the discussion? Nope. I liked how the... So we have this... Um, a plot with uh, Mariner yep. going off ship. And for once, it's not Mariner and Boimler together. Yep. So they're mixing right. it up a little bit. The And then the B plot involves Rutherford, uh, Boimler, and the dog, and Tendi. Yep. And, um, and I like the way the two intersect because it was uh, Rutherford's half a second faster transporter that caused the Boimler subplot and then resolved the Mariner A plot yeah. with the emergency beam out using the faster transporter. Right. That's right. That's right. They they really they did tie those together. And presume and now that we know that it eventually wears off, they don't all have to go to Division 14. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. And the latest episode is called Veritas, which another is another episode with a Latin title, and this time the simplest Latin title ever. <laughs> That's yep. right. And it means truth. Truth. That's right. Uh, all right. So it, it we, we kind of begin in the middle. You know, we don't have much of an introduction of anything. Uh, our four main lower decks officers are thrown into an alien prison. They don't know why. They rise into a room, which is like a courtroom. It's just like, so it, it really evokes the the Klingon court in Star Trek six undiscovered country. So, and that's, I think quite intentional. Uh, Oh yeah. Oh, very much so. And it appears the senior staff is on trial. You know, the captain and the senior officers and the junior officers have to testify. And And the senior officers are being held up in the air, suspended in the middle of this light beam. Yes. They're, Mm -hmm. they're awake, but not saying anything. There's no, there's no like dialogue from them at all. Uh, There's this uh, alien creature, who is demanding that they these junior officers have to speak truth into the horn of Kandor, uh, which, as Father Corey, you noted earlier, is... The- it's one of their most sacred horns. <laughs> one of them. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was noting that the horn of Kandor reminds me a lot of uh, the absolute Kandor from uh, Picard. I wonder yep. if that's a reference. Uh, and the way y'all are saying it, it reminds me that in the DC universe, they are so good with Candor, they can even bottle it. They've got the bottled city of Candor. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> or Candor, as some people I, say. Yeah. I, I use Kandor. my sensors to detect that. Yes. The, yep. you, you use sensors to detect Candors. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, too many jokes. So, uh, Mariners, at first, she's going to testify about a particular encounter that the Sreeders yeah. had with a clicket ship. Yeah, and this is so. This is very disorienting. Yeah, uh, deliberately for the viewer and for the characters. Yep. The lower yep. decks characters do not know what's going on. They're trying to figure it out as it's happening around them. They deduce from all the things they're seeing. We're in a trial situation, and we're being called as trial witnesses against our uh, our senior officers. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, and but so they're they're also like, what are we supposed to be testifying about? We don't know anything. Right. right. We're, the, the common theme is we're lower decks. We don't really know anything. And and this guy, Clark, is this, is the alien who is asked, demanding they testify, um, doesn't really believe them at any stage here. So 
Uh, so in this particular incident, she remembers that it started with her and Boimler having a debate about who was the bigger, uh, excuse the word they use it, badass, on uh, it was Khan or Roga Danar. Yeah. <laughs> now, I I had to look him up because I didn't oh, remember who Roga Danar. He was... He's, he- yeah. He's he was a sort of terrorist freedom fighter leader on this planet that was modified in such a way that he could like resist being beamed out of places. Yes. Which is mm-hmm. you gotta admit is pretty bad A. They're trying to awesome, beam you yeah. out and you resist that. Yes. And and he had kind of die hard on the Enterprise with Captain Picard. Right. Yeah. Yep. It, it was that uh, TNG episode of The Hunted. And it was like, yeah, there were super soldiers who couldn't be reintegrated back into society. And he and yep. the, the uh, I think Mariner's uh, reason that he's uh, better than Khan was is because he outwitted, outsmarted so Picard. Boimler. Oh, that's right. Boimler. That's right. That's right. Yeah, uh, that's right. Because uh, Mar- Mariner's going for Khan because, you know, he's a he's a space seed. Yes. <laughs> Gee, no wink, wink there. Wink, wink. Yeah. Uh, and Danar was the well, another reason was he had that hair. Anyway, uh, then it turns out that the ship had been at red alert and they didn't know it uh, because Rutherford had fixed the speakers in the in the room to, to make them <laughs> extra loud and accidentally turned them off. Yes. And yes. even turned off the red the red lights so that they didn't even have a clue anything was going on. <laughs> right. So they uh, they were late to their <laughs> duty stations on the bridge. Mariner and Boimler were. Uh, and so when they get there, they don't know what's going on. And so when the captain asks her opinion, Boimler doesn't know what to say. And when the captain says to Mariner, send them a message, send these aliens on the screen a message, Mariner shoots a warning shot. She's like, what are you doing? I just told you to invite them to dinner. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I I like that Boimler, she says, so she, uh, captain says to to Boimler, so what should we do? And of course he does like, you know, uh, do number 88, 84. (laughs) How about crazy Ivan, which of course is hunt for red October, you know, it's the turnaround at hunt for red October. <laughs> yes, there's a yeah. He's, he's like doing maneuvering things, and they're like, "What are you crazy? What? That's that's insane." Anyway, uh, it, it turns and, out, and the, the the painful thing is so when the captain has just beamed back from this alien clicket ship, she's got a map of the neutral zone. Yes, and yep. she doesn't understand why the aliens are suddenly attacking because she had just thanked them for their gift of this map. And yep. then they attacked. And from the aliens' perspective, they weren't giving her the map. They were showing her the map, and she stole it. Right. And so oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> and but she thought it was a gift. And so this is a colossal misunderstanding. Um, I, I appreciate the humor they're doing with Boimler, but I just wanted him to say, "Well, Captain, you could give them the map. The map back. We have our own maps in astrogation." <laughs> Well, I thought it maybe it was that it, it, they, they seem to imply that the clickets were mad that they thanked them because like sort of culturally gratitude is yeah. uh, is is bad or something. Or, or I, I'm not sure. But oh, yeah. I, 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 I got it. It's like you stole our map and then like, thank you. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's literally a physical map of the neutral. Zone. Well, it, <laughs> and it. it, it it seemed like Boimler didn't even have a clue what was going on as far as the map was concerned. He yeah. was more worried about what are we supposed to do now as far as like being the helmsman. Yes. So that's all he was trying to figure out. Uh, Clara is like, no, I want to know about the map of the neutral zone that the captain brought back. But but it turns out Mariner and Boimler weren't paying attention and never saw it. So uh, so he's mad. Yep. Uh, and so he turns to Rutherford um, and oh, he's going to 
because he's mad, he's going to dunk Mariner into a tank of eels. Uh, as that a, will apparently a eat her. Yes. Yeah. Um, so Rutherford's up next, and he asks about a different incident. Where... By, by the way, did you notice these eels shriek? Yes, so they're, they're shrieking, shrieking eels. eels. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Princess Bride reference. Um, so Rutherford's asked about a different incident where he was selected for a secret mission, but it turned out with, that when he was made to download updates to his implant, it kept rebooting. And mm-hmm. and and while he was in reboot, the implant t- takes over and keep, he keeps waking up to having done these crazy things. Like he's he wakes up and he's knocked out some Vulcans and stole their clothes and then broke into and, the museum. Who were laying on the floor and are referred to as, well, tell that to Spock and Spock. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) And then. uh, Yeah, he out out Vulcan the Vulcans by doing the neck pinch. Right, right. I didn't even know I could do that. Uh, They break into a museum, which apparently is on Vulcan, and steal an old Romulan bird of prey, uh, which he, uh, he, Rutherford has to do the Uhura fan dance from Star Trek V to distract a guard. Uh, why are you doing that fan dance and distracting me from I'm uh, now I'm all distracted. And uh, some fans have noticed Shax Shax, who is also on this mission is not pleased. It's like, what do you think you're doing? Uh, My best. Yes. Some fans have said that this bird of prey is, this is the origin for where the bird of the old Romulan bird of prey in Picard came from that. This, this hijacking of the bird of prey from this Vulcan, Museum of Starships, it's like the Vulcan Smithsonian, uh, is the one that ends up in that episode. I, could be. It could be. I, I don't know. I, it's a bit of a stretch, but sure. Uh, then he wakes up again. He you know, passes out, wakes up again, and he's on the outside of a cloaked, the cloaked bird of prey in a suit, of course. And then it cloaks and decloaks and cloaks again. And uh, he's carrying the, the chief engineer whose suit is malfunctioning, trying to get him and- to this shuttle running across the cloaked ship and keeps running into invisible parts of the ship. I thought that was funny. And, and, and the shuttle is the, the, the same as the warp sled that Spock uses in the motion picture. That's right. That's right. The same style. Uh, and then he finally, he passes out again and finally wakes up at a Gorn wedding <laughs> where it just, it, everything just goes bad again. Um, and Clara is like, no, no, I'm, I obviously want to know more about the bird of prey ship. Uh, so, and Rutherford is again, clueless. And so he's, uh, threatened to be just Sus- suspended over the eels too. Yes, and, and and meanwhile, Tindy is looking rather uncomfortable at this point. She seems to yeah. know something. Uh, so she relates this but, incident. But by the way, yeah. I, I like the way Clar asks his questions because, and, and both in terms of the actor's vocal inflection and what they do with the camera work and the lighting. I mean, it's animated, yeah. but right. the equivalent yeah. of the camera work and the lighting. He'll be like, "Tell me what happened on Star Date fifty seven eighty one." Point four. <laughs> yeah. And he says the point part really over dramatically, and they like zoom in on him and change the lighting. <laughs> yes, it, it is good. Uh, it's so ominous. So Tendi uh, seems to know something, and so she relates this other incident that uh, where she'd been ordered to clean a conference room, uh, where and then Ransom, the, the first officer, comes in with some guys in tactical uniforms and oh she's, oh, she's, a, she, but she, yeah. she's warned them that because this was classified right. she's going to have to conceal certain details and so the only details she's concealing are in the in her flashback 
they have those little rectangular black boxes over the eyes <laughs> yep. of the people. And that's that's everything else and we the, know about them. But well, they just have it, their eyes blacked out. Got the occasional word that's blurped out, but then it doesn't actually blurp it out. Yes. You know, the new troll zone. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Um, And so they're like, are you the cleaner? And she's like, yeah, I'm cleaning the conference room. You know, like she's like the cleaner. And they mean like the cleaner, like a super spy, like spy name for the cleaner. Uh, And it has or or the the person who cleans up after a criminal operation to conceal its existence. Right. That's a better explanation. So uh, so she's obviously mistaken identity here. Um, and it has something to do with the neutral zone map and stealing something from the Romulans using the aforementioned stolen bird of prey. It turns out, it, so they get to the, they go into Romulus. They're on this Romulan planet. Um, and she's supposed I to like, like how these two Romulans walking down the corridor are talking about how the Remans are just the worst. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's supposed to watch their way out with, we're supposed to think like, Oh, she's totally going to like be totally overwhelmed by having to cover their six. It turns out she's like a secret hand-to-hand combat pro. She's like really yep. awesome, super bad uh, combat, uh, like a hand-to-hand combat. And uh, mm. they, they've they got this package that they're stealing from the Romulans. Um, but because Tendi doesn't know what was in the package, she and Mariner and Rutherford are, you know, to, to Klar, he's, he gets mad. So he wants to throw her in the tank with the screaming eels from Princess Bride. And, and, and the redundant burners underneath it. Yes. <laughs> So they they lower every they lower all of them into the into the tank with and they turn on the burners and Mariner is like, why do you have burners? That's redundant. And yeah. And, and as the eels are swimming around them, shrieking, Tendi says, I think the burners are hurting the eels. <laughs> <laughs> That's such nice, Tendi. Uh, so Boimler at this point ex- kind of explains to Clark that they're lower decks. They never know what's going on. And the alien can't believe that Starfleet doesn't brief everyone on the crew on all contingencies of everything that's going on at all times. Um, and Boimler then reveals how even senior officers screw up, like when Q showed up. And then we see this uh, this interlude of when Q came and turned the senior staff into chess pieces in Alice in Wonderland. And this is John Delancey's Play- guest spot as Q. Yeah, playing against cards. The yes. card people that are also on on the on the chess with hockey sticks, <laughs> right? <laughs> Typical Q thing. And, and the captain says, "I think Q wants us to play something." And then, just as they think they figured it out, a, a soccer ball with arms and legs shows up. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it, this is a, another one of Q's tests for uh, for humanity. Um, and then, or another time when the senior officer screw up, like is when Ransom dated a salt vampire. From that episode of the TOS. Yeah. Well, they've been extinct for a hundred years. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> or when Dr. Also, yeah. I love it when Dr. Ta'ana rushes, and this echoes that oh, Dr. So Galen Quace episode of 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 Next Gen yeah. where Beverly Crusher has people mysteriously vanishing from the Enterprise that nobody remembers. This is oh, kind yeah. of the flip side of that. Dr. Ta'ana runs onto the bridge of his ship and sees people eerily like those on the Cerritos and says, Captain, imposters are filling this ship who claim not to know who I am. 
Right. And then it turns out she's just on the wrong ship. <laughs> she's on the Alhambra. She's on the Alhambra. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and then it's look the same. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's a male captain who's got the same like dreads that Captain Freeman has uh, when he turns around. Um, it, and it turns and out Boimler is like a mosquito man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, and then it turns out Clara is, doesn't have them on trial. It's a party to celebrate Clara's rescue since he was the one in the Romulan package and he wanted the lower decks crew to recount the exploits of the senior officers who are being held in the beam, not imprisoned, but like on a sort of like an futuristic technological pedestal of some sort. Yeah. Um, the engineer says it is an honor to be suspended in this beam. <laughs> right. And then the <laughs> lights come up and it's like this party balloons and, uh, and, and they're, yeah. they're going to write their deeds. They're going to inscribe their deeds on the stone of memory or whatever. Right. And that's when yeah. the, the caterer comes in and says like, you've only had this, you only got this room for 20 minutes and your time's just about up. So you're going to have to clear out now. And so uh, we also have a reference from you, Boimler. Yeah, he says you, on, you only paid for 22 minutes, which is the length of the episode. Yes, yes, exactly. You miss Boimler in the mic drop or horn drop. Yeah. 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 Oh, picks up the mic and he's talking into it and he just drops it. Right. Boimler gets this great speech uh, where he drops a bunch of references, including like Kirk didn't know about the giant Spock on Phylos. Right, which from is the from the animated series. Infinite Vulcan. <laughs> he also says that Crusher didn't know about the entity that was in her grandmother's lamp that she had intimate relations with. Uh, that was from the, the Scottish planet. Uh, yeah, that the horrible episode. Um, so I said so there was some funny references there. So afterward, Captain Freeman pledges that from now on, there's going to be transparency and clarity going forward. But then the Lower Decks crew like demand all this classified information, i.e. they want plot holes filled. And she and she yep. gets upset and throws them out like that. That that's it for clarity and transparency. Yeah, uh, we're not doing that anymore. Uh, and then uh, Q then shows up as they're walking down the corridor of the uh, Cerritos, and Meredith says, "Nope, we're no Q today. We're done with random stuff today." <laughs> yeah, she just tells him off and walks away. Off, oh, walks come away. on, yeah. go go bother Picard. Yeah. yeah, Picard's no fun with his constant quoting of William Shakespeare and winemaking. <laughs> so, yeah. And father, you had a, a um, uh, yeah, it was, it was, a, there was a couple of times they brought up wine. They, yeah. A couple of times they brought up wine because they, uh, at one point Mariner talks about how, you know, they might end up back on earth. Where all they do is sit and drink wine. Right. And then there's talk about Picard making wine. Well, of course, Veritas in vino Veritas. That's right. Wine is true. true. Yeah. <laughs> so he just sort of pumped them full deft, of wine. Deft third Maccabees reference there. Yep. <laughs> uh, also the, uh, or maybe it's, Maybe it's one of the estresses. Anyway, yeah. um, also, I liked the when Mariner is talking about maybe, you know, if we get kicked out of Starfleet, we'll just have to go back and live on Earth where there's nothing to do but drink wine and hang out in soul food restaurants. <laughs> and it's like, OK, so that's the two things we've seen from Star Trek yeah. on Earth in this century. You've got Captain Picard's vineyard and uh, and uh, Ben Sisko's father's. Soul food restaurant. Right. Which, so like those by, are the only the, two things to do on earth if you're a civilian. By, by the way, ra raise your hand if that sounds pretty darn good. Yeah. By the way, I'm raising my yeah, hand. Yeah. That <laughs> sounds pretty happy to me. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, let's see. I, I, anything else on this episode? Uh, anything left up to thoughts on this? Mm, nothing here. Nope. Fun nope. episode. 
Uh, yeah, that was that was fun. Uh, so the fun continues uh, on Lower Decks. Uh, an, another illustration of Lower Decks writing establishing a standard trope, in this case, the alien trial, and then subverting it by the end. Right. Yes, yes. The latest episode is called Crisis Point. And so that's what we'll be discussing today. Uh, so as this episode begins, it it's... Uh, was it Mariner is on the surface of a planet freeing the lizard men, lizard men from rat oppression. Uh, so basically uh, <laughs> some sort of first contact or second contact situation. And uh, Captain Freeman shows up and says, nope, Mariner, you made a mistake. You're not supposed to free them because of the prime directive. And there's actually a an interesting Star Trek discovery interaction here, because like the Ba'ul and the Kelpians, the rat people mm-hmm. prey on the lizard people who are trained to like it or something. And although Mariner points out to them, you know, they could now that they're free of rat oppression, just like bask in the sun like lizards, like they want to do. It's like, ooh, that <laughs> sounds good. And, and I love how uh, after sending uh, after sending Mariner back to the ship, uh, Captain Freeman is talking to the rat and lizard people and is like, look, will you guys stop eating them if we just give you replicators? Do they do food pellets? <laughs> yeah. 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 Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, did you notice that the rat people look a lot like the Antikins from Next Gen's yeah. Lonely Among Us? I think, I think mm-hmm. that might have been on purpose. Uh, um, so when Mar- when Freeman tells Mariner that she was shouldn't have done this, Mariner, like, flies off the handle, like freaks out. Um, and uh, Freeman orders her not to the brig, as Mariner thought she was going to, but to therapy, <laughs> at which point, like, that's the worst, the worst fate than the brig. And, well, uh, well, we already oh, know that Mariner likes the brig because she, yeah. she said when she was last sent there, it's like, I like the brig. I want to go there. <laughs> yeah, she she wants to go to the brig because it feeds her, you know, her rogue persona yes. she, oh, yep. i'm in the brig right and so basically this episode is about mariner's anger issues with her mom i mean that's really what it comes down to which we've been building up all season long and and as a, to remind us nobody else knows nobody else on the ship knows at this point that mariner is is the captain's daughter this right. is something that they should have stressed earlier in the season yeah. because mm-hmm. I did not realize that that this was a secret. I thought everybody on the ship knew that she's the captain's daughter. And if they if they should have set that up better in an earlier episode um like in the initial conversation between the admiral her father and and the captain, her mother, right. there should have been a line about now have, have we been keep, has the secret been successfully kept or something? Right. Right. Yeah. There's it could, because it, it doesn't make any sense. Why is this officer so insubordinate and gets away with it, with this captain and all that sort of stuff. Uh, uh, the, so she has to go to the ship's counselor who we're told makes nonstop food related metaphors and continues to do so, which is kind of funny. Oh. Uh, he puts all of his patients in a real pickle. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and then we get to the heart of the episode where Boimler has made a holodeck program with a perfect simulation of the ship and crew because he's prepping for a performance review and is trying to figure out how to suck up to the captain, ideally. Uh, but Mariner hijacks it and turns it into a hollow movie called Crisis Point, The Rise of Vindicta. Uh, and uh, so we see the like they're standing there and the credits are flying by just like in Star Trek. 
uh, oh. I think Wrath of Khan. In, mm-hmm. And in yeah. fact, we hear the yeah, from, theme music is the Wrath of Khan theme music. Well, yeah, and, and, and from this point on, there are so many Star Trek movie puns and, and in, yeah. Easter in eggs. Jokes yeah. and, it's, it, yeah. and it's not a single Star Trek movie. It's all of the classic Star Trek movies, the original six, and maybe yep. even some J.J. Abrams stuff. Well, there's but, there's lots of lens oh, flares, so that's definitely an Abrams. <laughs> yeah, 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 there's there's the Abrams lens flares. There's also the uh, Generations landing of the Enterprise. Yep. Crashing yeah, on the surface. Here, yeah, crashing. Sort of. Um, <laughs> there is, there's the inordinately long tour of the exterior of the ship yes. from Star Trek, the motion picture. There are the signatures over the closing credits like Star Trek six. Yep. So they're really parodying the entire Trek movie franchise. Yes. Well, even, even the, the feel changes to a, a movie feel. So like there's the scratches on the film and you'll see the cigarette burns, the little dots that let you know when to flip reels. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Those kind of pop up throughout. And, you know, so there's, there's, it, they, they, it changes to much, much more of a, a movie feel. Right, right. They're very clearly a lot of these minor, like subtle indications. Uh, some not so subtle. So the the, yep. the plot of the Hollow movie is that the Admiral, which is Mariner's dad, is sending the Cerritos on this mission to investigate a imposter Starfleet vessel. But it turns out um, it's a Klingon battlecruiser and its captain is Mariner playing Vindicta, Vengeance Personified. And <laughs> she's working out her mother issues uh and the fact that her mother hides behind her rules in this really over the top anger angry phase way i i like when they send them on the mission to this planet the admiral is is telling her that they had a really good we got this report from this planet that they had a really good contact with the san clemente but Star Trek doesn't have a San Clemente. <laughs> right. Yep. So he says, whoever second contacted them was an imposter. And I love that use of the verb second contacted. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so everybody's San, Cle- yeah. San, San Clemente, by the way, is a, is a city just up the coast from San Diego here mm-hmm. that is famous for having been the retirement home of Richard Nixon. Right. Oh. Yeah. I can't wait till there's the USS Yorba Linda. That will be a fun one. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's where, where Nixon grew yes. up. Uh, oh, also, also Boimler is not on board with this movie hijacking of his holo program. Right. So he, he, he's initially off a role in the movie and there's a joke that Mariner tells she says well because he's resisting is well you may be like Zahn then not make the final cut <laughs> right and and he doesn't know who that is well Zahn was a character that was planned for Star Trek uh, the next for Star Trek phase two which was mm-hmm. what the series they were planning to do a live action series they were planning to do before Star Trek, the motion picture. Right. And the pilot of, they were going to launch a television network just like they did with Voyager, but, um, or enterprise, uh, but they ended up turning it into a movie instead. And they didn't know if Nimoy was going to reprise the role of Spock. So they created a new Vulcan science officer, a young man named Zahn, who would be be befriended by Dr. McCoy. Right. Mm. So instead of having the antagonistic relationship, they'd have a friendship. And, um, and then when Leonard Nimoy agreed to do the motion picture, 
Zahn didn't end up making the final cut in the movie, although there was some scenes that were filmed with him. Right. That's right. Right. Uh, He must have been the one that died in the transporter beam. Died. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Yep. So uh, so they all have roles like Tendi and Rutherford have roles on the on Vindicta's ship and her crew. Um, Tendi eventually bristles at Mariner's Orion slaver pirate stereotypes the, the the fact that like she's because kid- many because many of them haven't been slaves for upwards of five years <laughs> right. yeah. I, I that's a great subversion it's a double subversion of that trope yes. because you've got the overplaying the stereotype but then we're also with we're with the right hand we're taking away part of the stereotype but with the left hand we're admitting yes <laughs> it's many it's, of them it's, still are pirates <laughs> many of them still are pirates and those who aren't have only not been pirates for 5 years St- <laughs> stereotypes uh, often have a basis in reality uh so yeah like you said boimler's not on board with the hijacking of his of his program and so he spends the movie the hollow movie trying to accomplish his goal which is just to find out how to suck up to the cat- Captain, uh, for his his performance yep. review that's coming up, uh, Rutherford at one point finds out that he can talk to his boss in this hollow movie however he wants without consequences. So he confronts him and calls him the best engineer in Starfleet and gushes at him and says, "You're wonderful," <laughs> which is more of that subverting yeah, yeah. of tropes <laughs> that we get. Yeah. Um, I love the uh, I love the, the the reference to the the Incredibles where Vindicta comes out of the their little elevator escape oh, yeah. pod thingy and her cape catches and of course that's reference to Incredibles no capes no capes <laughs> uh, Tendi gets eventually gets freaked out by how bloodthirsty Mariner gets killing the hollow simulations of their friends on the crew uh, she's like way over the top in the, her bloodthirstiness. Um, yeah, and I agree. There's a so I understand the trajectory this episode is launched on is mm-hmm. this is going to be surrogate therapy for Mariner, and she's going to work her through her feelings in this holodeck thing in a way that will ultimately let her relate to her mom in a better fashion. Yes. Now, I get that, and that's fine. But I agree with Tendi. She's taken it too far. Right, yeah. There is a moment where now there's a, we do get a confrontation between Mariner and her mom on the bridge. Mm-hmm. And Zap and Hala characters is one thing, but she punches her mom right. in, yeah. in holographic form. And it's like and then she takes this giant, I don't know what it is, broken pipe or something kind that has a sharp, sort, yeah. sharp end that she's going to stab her mom with. Yeah. You know, harpoon her with this thing. And and it's like, okay, I'm sorry. Punching your mom even in holograph form is over the yes. line. Yeah. And and I began to be quite uncomfortable with the how far the character of Mariner was taking this. And one of the things that she points out in the beginning is, is like she she made it ultra realistic. She she harvested all of their personal journals for the past ten years. And, the, and well, that was uh, well, that Boimler was Boimler did that. Did that. Aren't those private? <laughs> Someone says. Yeah. And so these are yeah. these characters are, are you know act and feel and behave exactly as they normally would. And at that point, including Mariner herself, right. including Mariner herself, Hollow Mariner shows up and at the last minute and saves her mom and takes on Vindicta, uh, which is just kind of confusing to the real Mariner. Like, why are you taking her side? Um, and uh, the real Mariner tells her hollow double, you only break rules because you know, that's what everyone expects. If you really were a, a, 
bad at A. You'd do the hard thing and just be a good officer. They're not casting you as a villain. You are. And so she's sort of talking to herself there. Um, but mm-hmm. it's but so we get this reveal of who Mariner really is and how she sees herself there. Yeah. And they both score points on each other because Vindicta to Hollow Mariner is like, I know everything about you. I know you secretly like the warp core. She's yeah. like, oh, no. You take that back. The warp core is so lame. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but in the end, the, the Hollow Mariner tells her that she loves being on the ship, that she knows her mom is protecting her in the only way she knows how. And she was she was only letting herself get beat up to buy time so that everyone else could get off the ship. And Vindicta wouldn't notice the self-destruct timer, which is a reference to Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. <laughs> but, yep. but uh, mm-hmm. and in the end, the therapy therapy works. Mariner proclaims, and she's worked through her issues with her mom. Also, Star Trek Three, where they actually blow it up, <laughs> right? Yep. Uh, uh, in the uh, so, um, also, Boimler manages to find out. So we have this memorial ceremony with the Hollow Captain Freeman memorializes the her hollow daughter who is now dead and reveals that it's her daughter and so boimler now finds out this secret and now has to carry this secret in his head that he can't bear to because it's against the rules um and he, he also finds out that the real freeman would cashier out anyone who would reveal this secret um, so his anxiety factor is like turned up to 11 because of he now yep. knows this secret and it's tearing him apart. And this is something they should have set up earlier. This is a flaw in the writing. Yeah. They should have set this up earlier in the season that nobody knew this. They should have really pounded that right. nail a couple of times on the head to make it clear to the audience so that this moment wouldn't come out of the blue and would have more meaning. Right. Uh, it also ends up tanking his interview <laughs> with the captain because his, his anxiety gets the best of him in this interview that he's been preparing for. Um, so, and then the episode ends with a photon torpedo who, uh, to uh, to photon torpedo casing opening up on the world where the Cerritos had crashed and Vindicta rises from it like Star Trek 3 and Hollow Da Vinci from the sheet, scooty, sheet skeet shooting simulation earlier shoots her and says not on my watch in the terrible Italian accent <laughs> that's that uh, and the, that's where the episode ends so uh, overall uh, I think another it's it has set up the season finale where now we have to have the reveal yep. of you know, and Boimler and and Mariner dealing with the fact that Mariner is the captain's daughter. Uh, overall, thoughts on this episode? Uh, I enjoyed it. There, there's one. There's a reference as a Mariner, Hollow Mariner is being beaten up by real Mariner. Uh, that Hollow Mariner would dress up as Toby the Targ even when she was too old to do it. Would <laughs> yes. dress up for Halloween. Toby the Targ comes from a Voyager episode. I think it's the one where it's the Doctor does the photons be free. Oh, okay. To- Toby the Targ was like a kid's hollow novel that was like super popular on Earth. And so she would dress up as this character for Halloween. That's funny. Okay. Okay. I I didn't enjoy this episode as much as I have other ones. Yeah. I thought this was a step down in the writing and, and it had a lot of good bits in it. I love the fact that the hollow characters, you know, since they're not Vic Fontaine, they don't know they're hollow characters. <laughs> yes. And so they don't recognize the players in the program as who they really are. And so when you have Mariner as Vindicta confronting hollow Captain Freeman, she starts, you know, 
inappropriately intruding into dialogue her real life feelings about her mom like why do you always have to treat me this way and stuff and and hollow freeman in character says i don't even know who you are <laughs> right because yeah. she she wouldn't and vindicta says exactly which is really nicely yep. meta there yeah. says, exactly you don't know who i am that was good that was good um, I, I did. I, I did forget one one thing. Um, they did when Tendi left the hollow holodeck. They did something that you. It's much yeah. easier to do an animation in real life where she's covered in gore, blood, yeah. basically blood and guts and everything. And as she walks out the holodeck, all that disappears. Yes. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. And it's of course that's something you could do with CGI or whatever, but it's so much easier to do an animation. Right. You're already. And you really don't see that. You really don't see that in you know like TNG or anything like that with the, the holodecks doing that kind of effect. It is consistent, though, with like in the original Cyrus Red Block uh, mm-hmm. or Sydney Green Street uh, <laughs> episode when he tries to leave the holodeck, he disintegrates. That's yep. right. That's right. Uh, the, uh, the the character, the, the, the character, what was it? The one who played Boimler's role on the ship, you know, in the in that Shimbo sh- Shim. Shimpo. Yeah, he yeah. was Shimpo. from an earlier episode where he was doing the the uh, talent show uh, that was going over really poorly. He was play, performing. Uh, hmm. uh, so he yeah. he was playing Boimler's role and dies dies early in the movie. So yeah, very brutally. <laughs> yes, which is what would have happened to Boimler. Anyway, all right. So uh, we should uh, wrap things up there. Uh, we're now finally reached the last episode of the first season. This episode is called No Small Parts. And that's a half of a classic Hollywood Mm -hmm. aphorism. Mm -hmm. There are no small parts, only small actors. (laughs) And the the idea is that that if you're a good actor, you can take even a very small role and in a in a film and make something out of it. And that seems to be the thesis statement of Lower Decks itself. Because mm-hmm. all of our main characters, um, Mariner, Boimler, Tendi, and Rutherford, are what would be considered small parts yes. on the on a normal Star Trek series, and they're not small at all. They're our main characters. Yes. Yep. Yes. So yeah. It's and of course, of, you got yeah. you guys got the double meaning of you know you got the the Packlids harvesting parts, <laughs> right. no matter how small they are. You know, right. so you got kind of the double meaning there too, but. This is another episode that has a ton of references to uh, previous Star Trek, you know, uh, stories and And characters. and by references, Dom means fan service. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> this this is this is a fan geeks episode. Well, this really is. I mean, what and is of lower, course we're all yeah. Well, what is lower decks but a giant fan service? You know, uh, series. I mean, that's really what it is, right? Yeah. It's all inter yeah. you know inside jokes and that sort of thing, which is great. Uh, so let's start at the at, start at the very beginning, as Julie Andrews sang, and uh, we will the the Cerritos is back at the planet called Beta Three, where the people used to worship a computer called Landru until Kirk in the Enterprise stopped them in the TOS episode Return of the Archons. Uh, but the the joke here is they've gone back to worshiping Landru, <laughs> the people yeah. after having been freed from this <laughs> tyrannical computer that was running Did- their lives. Despite there's a Starfleet sticker saying, do not worship or do, you know, <laughs> yeah. do not obey, do not, yeah. do not obey. Yeah. Yeah. 
And and this is the first time on screen we've revisited that culture. And there there are lots of cultures like that all through Star Trek that we see them once and never again. Yes. And that's kind of one of the points of this episode. Part of the plot of the episode is the fact that they have their first contact, maybe even a second contact, but then they're forgotten about. Right. We never. Well, yeah, the Starfleet sort of that's actually they kind of make this point in the episode is Starfleet is good at making first contact, but not so good on the follow up. You know, they're not so good on their follow through mm-hmm. and making sure people are okay after we've encountered them the first time uh which is kind of funny yeah i i saw this uh, there's a website that takes lower decks way more seriously than it should and it's like yeah. this this is biting commentary on starfleet oh, by lower that. decks oh yes like, uh come on it's 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 a farce comedy i mean it's supposed to be yeah. biting like fun biting commentary not they're not it, really comment you know criticizing the rest of star trek in that serious of fashion it might be alpha cannon, but it's really on that jagged line whether yeah. or not it should be. Yeah. <laughs> Although this this uh, th- this episode pushes it farther in the direction of lower deck being can- lower decks being canon than oh yes anything we've seen before. Yeah. As we'll yes. talk about when we get to the end of it. Um, I like Mariner's act of rebellion on the planet Beta Three is to beam down without permission and hand out art supplies to the children. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that was part of the original episode, right? There was no creativity on the planet. There was no independent right. thought. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I like how when she's handing out the art supplies, she doesn't know the name of a compass. And so she refers to it as a spiky pencil twirly thing. (laughs) 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 Uh, Another thing that that happens here is Ransom talking about the first officer, Ransom talking to Captain Freeman, referring to the original Enterprise's missions as the TOS era. And Freeman's like, TOS? Oh, those old scientists. That's how I refer to them. They encountered new aliens yeah. nearly every week. <laughs> <laughs> so TOS, as refer- reference to the Enterprise era, is now canon, uh, apparently. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so Boimler, so in the midst of Boimler helping Freeman hand out, I mean, Mariner hand out all the art supplies, accidentally on an open channel back to the ship, reveals Freeman and, Bo- and Mariner's secret of being mother-daughter to everyone on the ship. So Boimler sticks his foot in it again. Uh, and th- that creates the, the main tension and problems of this episode. Uh, we, we also get to see the, the Rub- the crew of the Rubidoux again. We saw them a few episodes ago where their ship got destroyed uh, and the Cerritos mm. crew had to rescue them. So now they have a new ship called the Solvang. Another that's up in the LA area. It's in Santa Barbara County, if I recall correctly. Uh, kind of interesting note, the, the Solvang's number is NCC 12101. Yeah. Well, Solvang is off of Highway 101, <laughs> okay. US 101. Okay. So, yeah, they couldn't just call it NCC 101 because that's that number's probably been used. Yep. I, I'm waiting for the ship, the Beverly Hills, and its number will be 90210. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm surprised that hasn't I'm, happened, I'm actually. I'm a little surprised that hasn't happened, too. Uh, I like how the the captain of the Solvang, the uh, the former captain of the Rubidoux, it's it's brand new, so we have to like don't tear the film off of the the pads, like the uh, the control pads. Yeah. No one <laughs> is allowed to wear shoes on the new carpet. <laughs> she wants to keep it as pristine as possible. Yeah, for as long as possible. And wow, does that wish go badly? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. of course, a scary alien ship shows up and destroys it like almost immediately after that. <laughs> So they've grabbed us with some sort of mining arm. (laughs) (laughs) Some sort of, they didn't say it's some kind of, but it's this, it's in the, 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 the the same, the same genre. Uh, 
That was kind of, I like the interesting effect though, where, you know, it got a hold of it, the warp nacelle. So they, of course they say go to warp, which is why (laughs) And immediately the ship just vaporizes. Right, right. Yeah. That was a bad idea. Don't go to warp when something's holding onto your nacelle. Uh, Then we have another uh, side plot back on the Cerritos of Tendi is the orientation orientation officer for a new crew member. A, this another reference to an an old uh, episode. This one, a TNG TNG episode, quality of life. A sentient exocomp. This was an episode where Data finds out that these robots have have attained sentience and therefore have free will. Any mutinies. Yes. Yes. In order to save them. Um, And uh, so this is they've uh, apparently they've applied to Starfleet like Data and this (laughs) this exocomp who has uh, decided to find the what was it? The the, an algorithm to find the most appropriate, the best possible name. uh, And it's peanut hamper. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which of course tendy loves because that's just who tendy is tendy loves yeah. everything and yep. and so we have ensign peanut hamper as <laughs> as our new exocomp crew person and i love the touch that they actually the exocomp was painted in a uniform right. yes. pattern yes yeah. like, the versus, pat- like the blue uniform right well, and, and she's in the medical division. And yep. again, they're playing with expectations. So the peanut hamper at first seems incompetent, like and unable to do her job. But then when it comes time to do Tendy's job for her, she's super competent and makes Tendy look bad, like makes Tendy look incapable mm-hmm. of doing the job. So there's, a, there's that. But, but Tendy loves it because it's her success when her student succeeds. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. Like, like that whole plays with your expectations. Um so Cerrito, meanwhile, gets a partial distress call from the Solvang and has to go check it out. Oh, and and for speaking of subverting expectations, for once, they're not the only ship in range. Right. The right. Titan is also in range. But it's like, eh, we got this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, how hard could it be? Um, Mariner, meanwhile, is now dealing with everyone knowing that she's the captain's daughter and everyone's treating her differently, trying to suck up to her, it, you know, vicariously suck up to the captain through her. Including the guy who thinks that Wolf 359 was an inside job, which <laughs> yeah. I guess you could technically say it was. Yeah, yeah. And what was the other thing he said, too? He, he referenced another conspiracy theory. Oh, yeah. Theory. The changelings aren't real and the Dominion War didn't happen. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and Mariner went on, the, went on a date with this guy once. I mean, that was the best part. Uh, so, uh, so she decides, I can't, I can't stay here anymore. So she's going to transfer to another ship. And the, thus, in order to get a transfer, she has to be all regulation and everything. She has to be now, she has to be a good officer and which freaks out Boimler because that's, that's his, that's his shtick is to be yeah. the perfect officer. It was, he was kind of like, I don't want you to actually be a better officer. I just want you to pretend to be one once in a while. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so the Cerritos, when it gets to the, where the Rubida was killed, uh, they find out that the aliens that attacked them are Packlets. Again, subverting expectations. The Packlets, Packlets were the joke species. They were, too dumb yeah. to, to really do anything. They were from the TOS episode, The Samaritan Snare, which is one of the most painful TOS yes. episodes out there. TOS or TNG? I'm sorry, TNG. Oh, yeah, TNG. Yeah. Okay. TNG. I, I thought for a second I misremembered. Yeah, yeah, that was very painful. And that was another data episode. Uh, it's interesting, yeah. So uh, it turns out they've been attacking ships and take, adding their distinctiveness and superior technology to their own to make them more powerful. So in other words, the pack led have kind of become dumb Borgs. 
<laughs> yeah. Which, so they're now more powerful than Starfleet ships. And they keep they keep thinking every Starfleet ship they see is the Enterprise. We've got you now, Enterprise. <laughs> Not like that yeah. other Enterprise. Another uh, Enterprise. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Freeman realizes that following the, the regulations and going by the book isn't going to save them. So she orders Mariner to come up with one of her half-baked solutions that she would hate. Yeah. By the way, this things are just to give people a sense of what's happening at this point in the episode. The Packleds have, have ripped off one of the nacelles mm-hmm. of the, mm-hmm. um, of, of the Cerritos, which according to Star Trek Enterprise silent enemy means that they can't go to warp now because they don't have two functioning nacelles. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, and also they are using really gigantic laser beams to carve up the Cerritos. I yes. mean, these are like, yeah. we see uh, these, this is very dramatic and we're seeing the ship from the inside being carved up with these huge, like walls of, phaser energy just moving through the hallways chopping stuff in half yeah this is like when the uh the 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 borg cube was taking core samples out of the uh, enterprise yeah uh, in in, in tng (laughs) only more much more dramatic than that yeah yeah yeah, and so the pack leads are despite their lack of communication skills and actually in the original episode where they appeared we were told don't confuse their simplicity of speech with being stupid. Yes. Right. And and they are played here as an effective threat. I mean, yes, they're a joke also, but they are an effective threat here. Right. Yeah. So Mariner's solution is a to hack the Packlet computers. Um, I'm not sure why that's half-baked or not regulation, because I, oh. I could see data coming up with that. Yeah, so the... Um, but there is a nice explanation for why this would work because they've patched together a system from multiple different ships from multiple different species. And right. to get all mm-hmm. those pieces working together, they can't have had time to build a robust antivirus software that's going <laughs> to let them right. all work together and be immune from outside influence. That's yeah, it's yeah, that's the, the trouble of open source. You, you, you just you can't effectively guard against <laughs> such viruses and hacking. Uh, or something. So, <laughs> so uh, Rutherford goes back to Badgie. Remember Badgie, and uses him to create a virus that that. Ha- but it has to be installed manually on the Packlet ship. Only- and you'll have to turn off the safety protocols first, Father, <laughs> if you want me to make a destructive yep. virus. <laughs> so, and then they determine only Peanut Hamper, the Exocop, can could possibly do it, and she refuses. Like she's like, I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. out of here and beams out of the here, ship. Yeah. Like, cause that's what happened in the original uh, TNG episode was it refused to put itself in danger. And that sh- proved it was sentient. Yeah. It also is a nice subversion of expectations because the logic points to, Oh, of course, peanut hamper is going to be the one to deliver the virus. So nope. <laughs> yeah, right. So <laughs> Rutherford has to go. I like, she also yeah. says something like, I only joined Starfleet to get away from home. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Rutherford's the only one who can do it. Uh, meanwhile, the Pakled have sent uh, boarders to invade the ship. Um, and so Shax, the Bajoran security chief, takes Rutherford to the Pakled ship uh, in the midst of this boarding action. Uh, but it turns out Badgie has sabotaged the virus and sets a self-destruct instead on the Pakled ship. The I really like the sequence here where um, 
And now Shax dies here, yes. at least apparently. Yep. And but even before that, I had in my notes Shax shines. Yes, because mm-hmm. he's he's really finally getting to do his action hero bit, and we're getting to see it. And there are consequences, yep. and he's really awesome. Here. Yeah, I really he's like enjoying it. every minute of it. He's <laughs> yeah. just grinning from ear to ear as he's beating up the Packlids. Yeah. And so when Badgie turns, um, as expected, uh, mm-hmm. Shax rips off Rutherford's, prosthe- you know, Implant. head prosthetic yeah. uh, and and puts him in the shuttlecraft and then physically shoves the shuttlecraft out back out into space from where it's done a ramming board yes mm-hmm. on the pack lid ship and so he shoves it back into space and is like says something like you know stay safe baby bear or something <laughs> like that <laughs> baby bear yeah because because rutherford was briefly briefly part of the bear pack security team that's right um yeah. and and then the self-destruct goes off and if you slow down the motion if you slow down the playback of the explosion we get these different shots of what's happening as the pack lead ship is exploding. And one of them is Shax has a pack lead in a headlock and is just enjoying it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shax goes out the way he wanted to go. Yeah. Uh, yep. uh, so, so Shax, uh, there's consequences on, on lower decks. People die. It's, they're not afraid mm-hmm. of killing off characters here. However, remember the Star Trek rule. Nobody. They're not really dead. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Moffat <laughs> must be in charge here. So uh, before they can, uh, the, the Cerritos can escape, three more Pac-Led ships show up, but then the Titan arrives. And this is another Enterprise. <laughs> yes. Yep. The Titan is Will Riker's ship. We, we know that from Star Trek Nemesis, right? Well, first contact. Nemesis. Nemesis, right. Yeah. Uh, Nemesis. That, uh, that uh, Riker was going to be captain of the Titan and Troy was going with him. And so that saves them. And so we, here we have Riker and Troy. And thus, Jonathan Frakes is now the only Star Trek regular cast member to appear in six different Star Trek television series. He was Thomas yep. Riker on Deep Space Nine. So that's technically, it wasn't yep. Will Riker. Well, and I, actually, I think I was going to say, I thought uh, Will Riker showed up. No, he didn't show up. No, on he was just Thomas. Think of something else. And then <laughs> together, Fra- uh, Frakes and Sirtis are the first Star Trek actors to portray the same character on five different series. So throw that in there. There, you know, everybody who's fans of the beta canon books and things like that. Yes. They're, they're immediately cheering because people have been asking for when, like when Picard was first announced, let us see the Titan. You know, we, we know that he's, he's been on the Titan for years. Let us see the Titan. And it's finally shown up in alpha canon on screen. Yes. It is not just as a mention. Yes. Uh, I, 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 it would be cool to see a Titan series, but uh, Frakes is too old to do it now. So it could be and, an animated also, series. <laughs> yeah. Also well, mentioned that as, as the Titan shows up, the TNG theme starts in the background. Yes. Yes. That yeah. was very nice. And it makes short work of the, of the backlets. Yep. And as you would expect, this is a comedic version of Riker and the showrunner when he approached um, Jonathan Frakes about, reprising his role yes he said i want you to do riker but i want you to do a crazy cut loose version of riker and <laughs> frakes was apparently like you have no idea because <laughs> because he's been he's been holding it in and reining yeah. it in his yeah. natural zany tendencies yes. all these years to play the straight laced will riker <laughs> apparently yeah. for one for one thing riker is the source of all of mariner's contraband <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, like they're they're old friends, of course. Yeah. So all the all the weird stuff that she's accumulated came from Riker. 
<laughs> and, and Captain Freeman, or he was Captain Freeman's uh, mentor, support, mentor, yeah. Yeah. and got in so much trouble with her. <laughs> Although he's, she says, I don't remember it that way. Yes, I think like <laughs> Boimler and Mariner, yeah. Uh, so uh, what, one thing to, to follow up on, when Rutherford awakes in sickbay, his memory is gone. Uh, and so he doesn't mm-hmm. remember Tendi. And again, subverting but that's great because we get to become best friends all over again. <laughs> right. You think she's going to be sad. <laughs> uh, Freeman, Captain Freeman determines that she needs to keep Mariner around her unorthodox ways so that they, you know, cause that's balances off her by the book regulation thing. So it gives her a way to think outside the box. And then again, breaking expectations, Boimler takes a promotion, takes the promotion to the Titan that uh, Mariner was going for. And Mariner's mad. She's like leaving him yeah. nasty voicemails on his pad on the Titan uh, once well, he gets over well, there. I, I like the way they, I like that they play that too, where of course Riker comes up and starts talking to, to Mariner and just drops the pad in front of Boimler. Right. And right. just like, I heard you're a good one. Here you go. Yeah. And he's just like, <laughs> yeah. So Boimler gets his promotion. Finally, he's on a, on a, you know, a first contact style ship, you know, the whole thing. Uh, so, uh, I'm and, and next, next to the pad where he's getting next to the pad where he's getting the messages, uh-huh. there's a plaque. The Boimler effect plaque is sitting there <laughs> on his table. <laughs> the Boimler effect, nice. So, uh, so then that sort of leaves open the question of what's going to happen next season. You know, obviously he's got to get back to Cerritos, right? Well, maybe, maybe not immediately. Mm-hmm. The so there was a. Uh, Ready Room episode that I know Father and I have had a chance to watch with Will Wheaton, where he interviewed the cast and the showrunner. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. they dropped a few hints about next season. One of them is the Titan and Riker and Troy are going to be back, and they are not at least immediately going to be undoing the transfer. Yeah. Nice. So Boimler is going to be having to adjust to life on the Titan. And they're going to, you know, they're going to have to adjust to his absence on the Cerritos and they're going to have a new security chief on the Cerritos um, to replace Shaxx. Although there was some question of will they undo Shaxx's death? And when when Will Wheaton put that question, because he said, you know, on Star Trek, it's only it's always kind of death with a wink. Yes, you know, mm-hmm. because you can bring people back. Um, and when he put the question of was this a real death or is he coming back to the voice actor for Shaxx, he ducked the question and said, uh, I'll have to let the showrunner speak to that. <laughs> and, <laughs> nice. So we may get Shaxx back. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And, you know, of course, they, they, they always do the flashbacks or whatever. Right, but, right, right. Or yeah. Mirror Universe or, you know, they, they've done it yeah. various ways. So we'll see. It'd be neat to see a Mirror Universe Shax who's like incredibly meek and humble. <laughs> That's right. That, that <laughs> well, would he's, be a, he's a Vedic. He's a Vedic on, on yeah. the Bajor. <laughs> yeah. I, I like how at the end of the episode when Mariner is talking to Freeman and about Shax, and it's like, I hope wherever he is, he's shouting in someone's face and ejecting a warp core. <laughs> i'd like to think so 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 this this concludes the season what what do you guys there's oh go ahead one more one more thing uh when when riker comes onto the bridge of the titan to to take off he he says i was down watching the first enterprise on the uh on the holodeck holodeck. boy they sure had a long road to go yes yes (laughs) getting from there to here yes that's right that's right So, uh, as, as we say, we've, we've kind of come to the end of the, well, not just kind of, we've come to the end of the first season of Lower Decks. So what do you think? I mean, I, I was kind of trepidatious at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and I think we all were. But what do you think? How? No. Oh, you weren't. Okay. All right. I, well, I, mm-hmm. I was, and I think Father Corey, were yeah, you? I, I was. Yeah. Okay. So I, you I definitely, and I were. You know, I, you know, I, yes, I was. I was pretty open about it when, uh, when we was first announced, and then again, you know, when we started recording it, it's like I really didn't know what to expect because, of course, they said, "Oh, it's from a guy who worked on Rick and Morty," and I'm sitting there going, "I really don't like Rick and Morty. I'm one of those people that really can't stand Rick and Morty. I don't want yeah. this to be Rick and Morty in space." And it didn't take very long to win me over. I, I'm I'm disappointed. It's only ten episodes. I want more <laughs> episodes now, <laughs> right, Jimmy. So, what? How do you feel about the first season then? I think it went fine. Um, I I think it, uh, you know, going into it, I recognized there was a potential that they could do it wrong, but I thought the odds were that they were going to do it right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think on balance they did. And so I was, I was positive on the series before it started, and I remained positive throughout, with some exceptions. You know, I wish they dialed back some of the less family-friendly stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but the humor was good. They really made a point of subverting expectations, which was great. Um, they, I mean, in just episode after episode, they took well-established tropes and then subverted them for comedic effect. Um, the humor was very affectionate, poking Mm -hmm. fun at Star Trek. It was not mean spirited at all. It's clear they, the creators love Star Trek. And so this is humor coming from a good place. There were uh, the only episode that I thought, I mean, there may have been others if I reviewed them one by one, but the one I only really remember one that I thought didn't perform particularly well by the end. Now, there were some that started slow, but then it's like, oh, now I see what they're doing. And it came together by the end of the episode. The one that didn't perform was episode number nine where I think they really went over the line. I mean, there were elements of that that were great, but then I think they really went over the line with Mariner's aggression towards her holographic mother. Yeah. And it's like, there's some things you don't do even in a holodeck. Yeah. Um, But other than that, I thought the series was, was nicely done. I thought the final episode did what I wanted. It, it kind of, it pulled things together from the whole season um, and gave us a big dramatic ending with consequences. That was one of my questions going in was, will this change the status quo ante and how? And it definitely mm-hmm. did that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the introduction of the Titan, Boimler leaving the ship and Shaxx dying. Yeah. Those are all big status changes. Yeah. Right. Um, and so so I thought it was I thought it, the final episode in particular was very well done. And, you know, on at, at our time of recording, we did today, we did three episodes and uh, for different Star Trek series. And mm-hmm. actually, this is the one I was most excited about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know. One thing, uh, Jimmy, you mentioned about how, you know, the, the, it's clear that the people who are running the show really love Star Trek. And I don't think we've ever mentioned, but Mike McMahon, who is the uh, director or the producer of this, he wrote the TNG season eight Twitter feed that later became a book. Hmm. Uh. So he he was resp- he was writing for Star Trek because this this this. Uh, TNG season eight was kind of a, again, a fictionalized what were plot points or plot storylines that they would use if there had been a season eight of TNG. And it was, it was comedy. I mean, it was, it was played for comedy, but it was also done kind of the same way as this, where it was done of, you can see these being reasonable plot lines, but done in kind of a comedic way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
you know? So, I mean, he really was someone who enjoyed Star Trek, who was a Star Trek fan. And, you know, you can imagine for somebody like that, where it's like, now you get to produce a Star Trek show. You're going to pour that love into it, you know? In a sense, it's like the Orville in, uh, what's his name? Uh, Seth um, McFarlane, McFarlane, who created that. He loves Star Trek. He poured that into a a Star Trek clone, essentially, uh, which started more broad comedy and has become more dramatic over time. And Mm -hmm. uh, you can see that, that that there. And that's, I felt like Lower Decks was... Frankly, this is better than the Orville by a lot. I think so, too. To my mind. Yeah. I, I, this is a, a bit of a love letter to the fans. I mean, this is really mm-hmm. aimed at Star Trek fans. All of the the in jokes, the, the 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 situations, the 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 like you said, loving, uh, poking fun. I mean, all of that in there. This is a this is a series that's really aimed directly at the fan base, uh, and and I, I I enjoy it. I'm looking forward to more. So hopefully, this time next year, we'll be talking about season two. <laughs> that would be nice. And season three beyond that. It's easier to yep. make uh, uh, animated shows from home <laughs> in lockdown, right? They can record yeah. and, and voices we, on uh, from home, et cetera. And we, we do know they are actively, as we said, they are actively working on season two right now. So, I mean, they could be getting to the point where scripts are being finalized. And, oh, yeah. They're get, there. You know. Yep. And uh, getting so, the animation going. So yeah. it, it could be any time now they could actually do it, you know, starting to do all the work that goes into it. So uh, I, sad to say we're more likely to see lo- another Lower Deck season before we see a Picard season. But uh, only, be- only because I'm looking forward to uh, season two of Picard. But we'll, we'll see how that goes. We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Secrets of Star Trek, including Joseph W., Kelsey S., Jim B., Andrew W., and Georgia Ann Z. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What did you think of Star Trek Lower Decks Season 1? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page, facebook.com slash starquestmedia or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing Discovery Season 3 season premiere. Yes, that's right. The new season of Discovery is upon us. Until then... Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Trek. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, we're not really elite. We're more like the cool, scrappy underdogs of the ship. You know, we don't wash our hands. We're doing kick clips all the time. <laughs>